Welcome back, everyone, uh, to a stupendous day here on Anime Was Not a Mistake. We have reached, officially, our 200th episode. Now, as we said, we were bad with numbers. With change, yeah. Uh, so the wiki <laughs> will list the previous episode as 199.5. Yes. Uh, but th- this is officially our, our big 200. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it's been, a, it's been a, a fun couple of years. We've had, uh, you know, smiles and frowns. Uh, <laughs> Ups and downs. Ice creams and pizzas. Trysts and tragedies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but a lot of anime. Yes. So, uh, as always, I'm one of your hosts, Dan Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just say this. Cast in fire, anime was not a mistake. Mm-hmm. Joined, as always, by my co-host. I'm Jonathan Kwiatkowski, and all I have to say is, anime was not a mistake, did the thing. <laughs> did. Yeah, did. we survived, we lasted, and yeah. here's to 200 more, you're not getting rid of us. No. Just like syphilis. <laughs> we got a lot of shit planned. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in the process of putting this episode together, it occurred to me just how much we have remaining to watch. Yeah. Uh, tons, tons of series that uh, we're debating, as you know, it's a pizza party preview. Yes. We've got snacks and drinks and such, because, you know... We love to eat as well as anime, yes. and uh, it is fitting because two trips and a pizza party, 200 and a pizza party, it connects to our past in some way. It does. But yeah. even beyond these three scant selections of series that we're going to show, uh, there are far more series on the horizon that I was highly debating which three to pick. Yeah, no, a- as was I. Um, really, one of mine came down to, because we always physical media shill, mm-hmm. um, in the future I may lean into one of the streaming services which is fine yeah i was looking uh, especially some of them i only have on dvd yeah um so we could, you could do a quick perusal and see if they're in higher quality on certain streaming platforms but uh, i also did bow to physical media as always yeah for, for <laughs> this episode but it's like in the future i was desperately searching but it's like some some are just out of print at this point mm-hmm. so it's like and not even old ones because yeah. a lot of retro anime is getting you know a new you know run recently but yes. Uh, some from, you know, the mid-2000s are just kind of gone at the moment. So, mm-hmm. in the future, we might lean into streaming services, but I did try, I did use this as an excuse to, to pick up some physical media. Good, uh, good. So, You're yeah. never an excuse, Dan. Yeah, <laughs> Always a course. privilege to do Looks so. Looks good on the shelf. Yes, so. yes. Uh, so, uh, a little bit of news to share mm-hmm. uh, amongst. Do we have any life, video game, anime-related updates to uh, speak about? Um, I have two small things. I have itty-bitty things as well. Um, one, uh, is, uh, you know, far be it for me to be romantic on this podcast, Ooh. but in a case of love at first sight, I, I found a Sinister Six pick that's not even out yet. Wow. I, um, 
if you have the misfortune like I do of watching YouTube for free, mm-hmm. uh, you might have seen a trailer recently for The Pope's Exorcist. Oh, yes, I did. And I saw it, and let me tell you, I'm like, this is, when this drops on Redbox in three weeks, it's going straight you in the did, pot. You know how I feel about exorcism movies on this podcast. Well, yeah. it, tangentially, the the story that it is fictionalizing mm-hmm. is the story I read of, up on it, because I also saw the trailer. Yeah, it, It's Father Amaranth, mm-hmm. the, the guy who um, was the was apparently the basis for the original Exorcist movie. Yeah. And a few years ago, the director of The Exorcist... Um, not not uh, Will... What's the Wes three names? Cra- no. no! Not Wes Craven. Uh, the, not Blatley. Blatley's the writer, and he did the third one. Yeah. I'll look it up. The the, the guy who directed... Was it Ripley? Who wrote... Directed and talked in. Talk. Uh, but that guy yeah. went and he did a very, I think it was poorly received documentary called The Devil and Father Amaranth, mm-hmm. who was, uh, you know, it was it was a very weird, because uh, I remember the Red Letter Media guys were less than thrilled with it. Um, but once again, they're channeling his name or his character for a devil movie. Um, I was watching the William trailer. Friedkin. Yes. Yes. He, yeah, he did that. And it was also written by William uh, Blatley. Yes. So... Because there's that interview with the two of them, like us in old age, you know, taking snipes at each other, but the... And I'll still stand by. Exorcist 3, phenomenal film. Phenomenal script. Oh, no. Wonderful, yeah. Future Halloween watch. Well, there's a Steelbook 4K coming. Well, we got it. I'll be purchasing that, yeah. I I have to as well. Mm -hmm. Excellent movie. But, um, so I was watching this trailer, and there's a line where Russell Crowe is is up to something. The local authorities are like, you don't have jurisdiction here. And he's like, take it up with my boss, the Pope. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, "Mm." Yeah. I don't think that's how Catholicism works, but sure. I don't don't think so either. And it's like, the trailer starts as if it's... um, Oh, I saw a little girl's head spin around, and I got scared again. But not just that, (laughs) because that would make it, like, I would say a standard mid-budget exorcist movie. Mm -hmm. But there's, like, parts... Because, again, the trailer is the entire plot. It it is literally every twist and turn. It is just the entire movie. Um, But it's got, like... You know, it starts out with the exorcist doing his business, and then, you know, it gets into the spooky horror stuff with the girl possessed and everything. But then there's glimpses... Of, like, Final Fantasy set pieces in there with, like, crystal anime Ooh. spires. And right. it's like, what the fuck is... Like, is he gonna find a secret <laughs> devil root? Like, what what is going on Probably, here? Probably, yeah. Um, so I have a feeling that, assuming that does not end up becoming, like, the new Barbarian, mm-hmm. like, it, it ends up being the cult smash but even the, even then like barbarian and malignant we could totally bring to sinister six of for different reasons because you know not all the sinister six movies are ones we hate yeah they're ones no. we love yeah. i know of course um but i have a feeling except for melting coming. man yes <laughs> which will not receive any love from me. r.i.p yeah but uh we will probably be seeing that in the pot mm. uh me i'm continuing some video games uh it's very hectic with all the shows that i'm gonna go see which i will bring up at the tail end of this conversation I am continuing, as I told Dan yesterday, with Fire Emblem Engage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just finished the first DLC batch of Paralog episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got Camilla from Revelation, who is a fan favorite of mine and the world's. Yes. She is mommy. Um, but it took me two and a half hours on hard to beat that map. <laughs> yes. It was a lot, but it feels challenging. And I, I have to say it again, I do love this ring system. Because it does add a lot of uh, details and strategy to the game that 
it didn't have before. Of course. You can just min-max a character, or you can give that character a completely different set of skills mm-hmm. and go down that road. So it feels like literally anyone could be anything. I know that's not competitively viable in a Fire Emblem game. That's not well, what people I, want I, me to do, but it feels like anyone could play any role. So, yeah. Well, hey, uh, by all means, I... People just, whenever I see Fire Emblem, again, it's just people fighting about it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, I, because I, I, like, as I was picking up the pizza to come here, yeah. I was reading over, like, someone posted, like, a... The Game Informer article <laughs> at the well, pizza shop that was there. It was, um, you know, and it was, it was, like, noting how a lot of newer Fire Emblem fans, like, might have just started at Three Houses, because yeah. we are elderly at this yeah, point. We're old, yeah. And Even you, before um, Awakening, yeah. we, we knew what Fire Emblem was. And they don't, they don't necessarily count Awakening in there, Which even, is even though, yeah. like, it, to our generation, <laughs> to the old folks, that, that was, like, the thing that re-sparked it here, like, that, you know, made it, uh, what it is currently in, in the States here, but it, it was just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it it felt like Three Houses was was controversial when it came out. Yeah, and, and now then it's it like, aged, it's aged like wine. Yeah, yeah. delicious. Um, but if Fire Emblem Engage, by all accounts, is a return to the older playstyle like that it. would have been found in the yeah. previous installments. Yeah, I liked but... when the character supports. I'm still in the first chapter with the first batch of characters, so I still have forty more characters that are going to get thrown at me mm-hmm. um, that I haven't even met yet. But their supports are fleshing them out more than T. So I like that more. Now it's mm-hmm. like tea and government issues. <laughs> okay. It's like, I use the tea to cope because my life is so tough. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right then. That makes sense. That's yeah. what I do. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. good. I, w- I would highly recommend checking it out. I know there's a bevy of games. I know that Octopath 2 is out. It's Square Enix is apparently shipping me the big box edition. Mm-hmm. And apparently this <laughs> this Octopath is even more Octopathier than the first. And I loved the first. I, I got on the last chapter which just required me to grind 30 levels and I didn't have the time mm-hmm. or energy, so I still need to get through that, which I will eventually, because you know I'm not one to leave things unfinished. Of course. Uh, that I love, but Octopath 2 seems to be correcting a lot of the things that uh, fans were upset by. Uh, we've got some stories that intertwine with one another. Uh, apparently, like, the role system is a little bit better because you can, like, buy uh, certifications for specific jobs by doing side quests, mm-hmm. so it gives you something to work towards. Instead of just giving it you giving it to you piecemeal, um, some of the quests don't point you exactly where you need to go, so you need to be a little bit of a Sherlock detective person to okay. uh, to pick up on the clues. And I said, "Oh, this is good classic RPG," and the reviews seem to show that. When I don't have too many games, I will <laughs> never. I will probably yeah. lean towards Octopath too. Mm-hmm. Is is what I would pick up. Well, there's next. a Weeb Samurai in it. So <laughs> there is. <laughs> you yeah. right up your alley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. But. Uh, well, on a similar note, mm-hmm. again, uh, because, you know, the Metroid Prime remaster came out recently. I've been mostly just playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing the musical chairs, shifting the memory cards around yeah. on my Switch, yeah. I did finally resume Eastward. Oh. That little indie game yeah, that I came re- out. I remember, yeah. I, I must, if I did not recommend that originally, I yeah. must recommend it again. It is a, it is a delightful romp. Yeah. So, and fairly challenging, but is... I, I forget if I've plugged that enough on here, but certainly look into it. Uh, it's it's kind of like a little, you know, um, I don't even want to say it's like a like an action adventure game, mm-hmm. but it's got a really cute story and a a beautiful art style and art direction. Uh, so uh, as weebs, 
Yeah. I think we can heartily recommend that. I also have to point out that Japan got an exclusive Cuphead edition that we didn't bring up on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Go with on. The, <laughs> with the Amano arts. <laughs> yes. And I said I simply must have it. So I purloined uh, one of our friends, adjacent friends, John Varoke, to get me one to ship overseas. Mm-hmm. Still haven't even started Cuphead because I have so many games to do, mm-hmm. but that'll be on the list. Um, Xenoblade is continuing to trek along. I finished most of the side quests. Mm-hmm. I've got almost all of the 24 or so colonies in the game. That's right, there's 24 colonies, Dan. When you think that game is over, like when you play that game, you're going to be like, this colony's big. How many could there possibly be? Yes. There's 24, Dan. There's 24 mini little cities mm-hmm. that you go to that have side quests every other chapter. Um, but I think I'm almost done. I just have a few more, like, Ascension quests, which is where you level up the heroes that you travel with, and then I can get to endgame and postgame. And D- yeah, the DLC, I assume? Well, the DLC... Oh, gosh, the DLC. Well, that's gonna come, and that's, like, a whole separate other game. Mm-hmm. So, and that has Xenoblade 1, Xenoblade 2, and Xenoblade 3 timelines in, as mm-hmm. we know, because Rex got hot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there was one other. Oh, the PlayStation State of Play. Yeah, that's that was going to be my oh, next right. thing. Good, so. good. So you you spearhead that. Um. Well, we got like a, a PlayStation State of Play. Um. It was. I think the main thing that people were excited about was that we got a lot of Resident Evil Four remake yeah, footage. Amazing. Wonderful. Glorious. <laughs> the gameplay looks all intact. Yeah. It looks. If anything, they've added stuff mm-hmm. to it. Like yeah. without character development away. for Ashley. I love that. I think the stupid cart thing is in there, yeah, too. It's, yeah. it's, it's all... With Lewis going, Aye! <laughs> it's it, fun. It's all in there, yeah. and it, it's all looking more beautiful than ever, mm-hmm. and I, I really... I don't know. I'm I'm excited for that. Yeah. And, I mean, there wasn't much else aside from Street Fighter Six. Yeah. Again, yeah. fittingly for the episode that, that would have gone up, mm-hmm. uh, we do not... We do not intend for that. We really do predict everything, though. Um, but we got uh, confirmation that... Uh, Obviously, Cammy is back, mm-hmm. taking the internet by storm. Yeah. Zangief. Zangief is back. And new player, Lily. Lily, yeah. yeah. All look like a fun time. From apparently the same tribe as T-Hawk, hmm. and she is a uh, like little like wind user. Mm-hmm. Who I I want to say that the things she uses are like kukris, but I I don't yeah, I don't know like exactly. They're like kukris, or they're like sporting sticks or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she looks like a blast to play. She's got her little Polaroid camera yeah. in her taunt. It's wonderful. And yeah, but every everyone's looking great. Yeah. So I don't know. I suck at those games, but I, yeah, I I'm really feeling. Yeah, that I, I also do, to. but remember, there's like an easy button edition <laughs> that we can play. So That's we true. Don't, we don't need to know the combos. That's true. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure can, we'll get judged online, but if I can do that, then I'll then I'll then I'll pick it up. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah. Both of those things looking good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw some theater this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, still reeling from Jessica Chastain. Now on TikTok. People understand the humor that I need because mm-hmm. we had the spin you right round and we had her walking out on the end to New York, New York, concrete jungles where dreams are made of. Yes. And I said, these are my people. This is my community that I love. Yeah. Maybe I am a bad Cinderella. Uh, but I saw Hercules at the Paper Mill Playhouse. Mm-hmm. And usually that's where the Disney musicals go before they transfer to Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it should have happened with Hunchback, which was groundbreaking, wonderful, literal chills. But... A, a little bit of a digression. Hunchback is more of my Disney fair. Mm-hmm. Like, I always thought Hunchback slapped. Like, I was never a fan of Aladdin. 
I was never that big a fan of Hercules, aside from the music. Opposite of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> which I, I am the outlier. Like, I love a good classic. Like, I love The Little Mermaid, which was a fantastic show they did on Broadway. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, the first one they did successfully. This one feels like it's got a lot of work left to do. Mm-hmm. The muse is incredible. We had six strong, black, confident women there mm-hmm. singing gospel in front of a Milburn audience full of white people, which was cringe. Mm-hmm. But I appreciated the effort and they did a wonderful job. Yes. This show was entirely the muses. It was wonderful. Uh, they they tried to enhance Meg's role, but they did the bare minimum. She mm-hmm. still shows up halfway through act one and she's definitely the bad Cinderella type. She's got a leather jacket. And she's like, you know, woman don't need saving. There's this whole thing, this plotline about that, and she gets one monologue in the second act that's like, oh, my boyfriend left me, and everyone leaves me. And Hercules is like, I won't leave you. And then it's like, oh, very cute. Wonderful. Charming. Okay. Yeah. But, and I'll get to the ending, they do change the ending to this show, and it is some of the dumbest theater that I've seen in my life. Um, but other than that, they, they expand on Herc. The guy playing Hercules, very likable. He did it off-Broadway, where it mm. got rave reviews. I think this would work better with a minimal set. The set was kind of cool. It was like these Greek columns that rotated. Uh, they had some Greek coins that uh, like flipped over to reveal different things on the back of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the city of Thebes. Very good puppet work. The Hydra was done wonderfully. It's like a three-headed Hydra on I puppets. Would hope, that, yeah, yeah. that was very cool. Um, uh, they have... Uh, James Engelhart, who I just saw, you'll know him from Kimmy Schmidt. He's Titus's rival. Yes. And he's like, he originated in the Aladdin musical. I just saw him in Guys and Dolls. And the Phil character, he's not a satyr. He's just a normal guy in a tracksuit in this rendition. <laughs> so he's not a goat man. They didn't even go the Torgo route and it, have him like No, walk. and I was so confused by this, Dan. Like, if you were there, I was like, that was an odd choice. Because a lot of, and it, it, entirely kids in the audience... Mm-hmm. A lot of kids recognized that Philatidi's character as a, a goat man. Yeah. But no, they just made him like a, a Rocky Balboa trainer type. Okay. And which is, it is yeah, odd. He, I, it, it's it, fine. Just... Like he was doing his job. He was singing his songs. He was doing some fabulous choreography. I could tell that he wants to be in a Dreamgirls revival so bad. Mm-hmm. Like he would fit wonderfully if he played uh, Jimmy Early or whatever. But he was doing a great job. The cast was okay. Aside from Hades, mm-hmm. who who was working with the script as best he could. He was not a bad actor by any means. It's just the song they gave Hades. And there's a lot of original songs in addition to all the classics from the movie. Yeah, the bops. The mm-hmm. bops that do not work well. They There's like five in the first act, two in the second act. And the second act is almost all reprises, which didn't feel right to me. <laughs> Yeah, they're you, like you quick, would know better than I do. They're but quick I, one-off reprises. Usually we get one or two, Dan, mm-hmm. like to to accentuate the themes of this, which was fine. But Hades, he was not menacing in any way. Whenever he would come on, the smoke machine would turn on. You would hear it, like, burn in the background. <laughs> and yeah. then he had, like, some fire contact paper where you think it would be, like, a dramatic effect that he would, like, shoot fire or something. Because it can be done. Fire yeah. does happen on stage often. But it was literally he would snap and there would be, like, a light bright. Like, like that. Just mm-hmm. one thing coming out of his hands. And it was like, you're, I'm not intimidated by by this man at all. Like, I, I don't know what to say. He's supposed to be, like, a menacing presence. And... And God, if I didn't tell you this script was bad, nothing but dad jokes as 
far as the eye could see. The best being is they have a character that they've added in the beginning. Hercules' mom lives with another woman. Her name is Antithesis. Uh, and that yeah. that got a that got a point from us. It was like that was the greatest. When she came back, we screamed. We were like, "Yes!" That's like a that's like a dubbed anime but that was name. The be- but that was the best. But that was the best joke in the whole thing. And it came so early. There was no beating that. The rest were like, I don't even know. Like, I I thought of better. Oh, I can't even think it off the top of my head. But I, I have to research the script and get back to you. It was not good. There were a lot of groaners in here. Uh, well, I that, <sighs> that just elevated it for me, but I, I that that did that was yeah. one like that was a, a glowing glowing thing in this like just having the character name Antithesis there I I loved that um, and then the ending so usually in the ending it's like Hercules gives off his power to save Meg the thread won't cut <laughs> they didn't even say that God they, damn it. they had the thread they had the scissors they didn't say what's the matter with these scissors and no one said the thread won't cut the one that literal that's what gabe and i said we said you messed up the one part that me you and grant could play yes, the yes, one that we were the, born the to fates play. oh and the fates they come out in this little uh, spirit halloween party boat it's hilarious the, dad the stitching bitches uh, pl- like playing video games with one eyeball oh shared between- <laughs> which is a volleyball in this production it's an eyeball it's- volleyball that they just hover around the one thing that's Thread won't, won't cut. cut. What's, up, what's the matter with these scissors? They did keep the indoor plumbing line, but it didn't. It's hit. gonna be it, big. It didn't. Yeah. It didn't slap nearly as hard. It was like the overdramatic indoor plumbing. It's going to be big. <laughs> the not. It, yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm not gonna blame the actors. I'm gonna blame it more on the direction going on there. So the ending. Hercules gives up his power for Meg for a day. She gets smushed by a pillar, which happens off stage in this. We don't even see her get smushed. Phil comes in and is like, here's a part of Meg's cloak. She's in the underworld. Go get her. But Meg, being a strong, confident character, goes, Hercules, no. You've taught me that people are good. So when they unleash the Titans, which are just two labyrinthian puppets, like okay. with a man inside, very Josh Groban in the Beauty Beast live action yeah. thing. Uh She's like, no, the people of Thebes will defend you now, Hercules. And then the 15 chorus members stand up, they interlock arms, and they just stare at the titans that are approaching them. And the titans, they go down. They just, like, they're done in by communal participation. It uh, it got a lot of groans from me. I was like, what is going on here? Like, I get the message, I get the moral, but... Just don't end it I, that way. I would think that. All right, if I gotta, if I want, if I gotta, if I gotta, you know, do some doctoring here. Yeah. I would assume that since they can't on stage do the final stupid Titan. Oh yeah, and the, and the gods. On Pegasus yeah, yeah. And there's no Pegasus. There's the... no Pegasus in this either. Well, of course, but yeah, they, they cut Pegasus. They, there's one line that says, "What would you expect me to come in on a flying horse?" And everyone was like, "Yes." The one person is <clears throat> in the audience, but <laughs> but the. I, I would assume that in doctoring it, they could go back and add a line where it's like the gods are ultimately dictated by like the belief of people. Yeah, so that, if the that people, could be good. Yeah, if they don't want yeah. the titans, then the they people pull can an tell it and turn to, their back to Pennywise, and then yeah, yeah, if they had to, that's what I would do if I was See, forced to. Maybe but. I should give Stephen Schwartz a call. He wasn't there. He was. Uh, he's always there when his shows are at Paper Mill, but. He's filming the Wicked movie right now, so he oh, wasn't yeah, currently right. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The two-part epic, the six-hour Wicked movie. Oh yeah, that will yeah, be coming yeah. to Sinister Six. There's no doubt in my mind. No, it definitely will be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm wholeheartedly excited for that. Yes, 
sincerely deeply excited. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if Hercules is your cup and tea, go check it out. I shan't be returning to this so far in the ten or so shows that I'm going to see. This is ranking on the bottom. Doll's House just beating it out by a hair. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as we were discussing uh, off mic before we started, it, it seems odd that the Descendants 3 Hercules beat this this portrayal. I would, say, I would say so, yeah. Because in that one, I don't even I don't even remember if he used fire a lot. He was just no. like a guy in a, a he was a a rad dad yeah. in a biker jacket with yeah. like Vegeta hair, and that was it. Yeah, and this guy who was playing Hades, he was like in the Music Man. I don't know if it was the current revival, and he was in something else that I was like, oh, I'm familiar with that. Oklahoma, mm-hmm. one of the Oklahoma revivals. I don't know if that was the current one that I saw as well, but. He would just deliver his lines like he had a screaming drone, like, I am Hades! Mm-hmm. Like, and he would have jokes. It was like, he wasn't smarmy, though. Like, Hades is supposed to be the fast-talking con artist. Yeah. The the James Woods type. I know. I just well, know that. since then, James yeah. Woods has gone nuts. But yeah. yeah. I, yes. Yeah. But based on, like, it, when Kingdom Hearts does the Hercules attitude better than the stage musical. Yeah. I, I, I give pause to... to we're, uh, we're... Pain and... Yeah, they, they were fine. They, they yeah, were... Pain and Panic, two character actors, they were standouts as well. So I'll give it to the muses and them and... Uh, <laughs> antithesis. <laughs> Which, just for the name alone, I was like, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Like, when she came back in the end, I was like, oh my god, she's back. <laughs> and you know she's coming back because she's got a character-appropriate costume. Like, right. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, not, not glowing praise for theater. For me. Mm-hmm. But... Not the best show I've seen in a long time. Well, I mean, that's what you got. You, you take the good and the bad. Yeah. But you have other ones coming I've up. I've got many other ones coming and a whole pack season ahead of that as well. Good. Yep. Good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, the only other, the, the only other, my, we got like very, very, very brief news moments. Tomorrow is Pokemon Day. Oh, tomorrow of all days? Um, so we'll. I'm not dressed. We'll report <laughs> next week what happens uh, as of, you know, as of this recording. Yeah, we'll report we two ahead. weeks ago, so. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, could be anything. Um, and then uh, we, I, I finished Fleabag, mm-hmm. a show that you recommended many moons ago. Ugh, Excellent show. show. Phenomenal. Holy shit. Like, quick, uh, you know, delightful you know, yeah. very, very funny but insightful show. Mm-hmm. So go check that out. Um Oh yeah, and I, I resumed Demon Slayer oh. so that in the future one of the future watches will be the second season, the entertainment district arc of that, as yeah. I promised. Uh very good. But mm. there we will get to future picks very shortly, I think. Yes, yes. Indeed. I have nothing else to say. Yeah, I, I I'm just excited to get into today's content because right. we're going hog wild here so do you have any idea how we want to do this thing well okay one option that we had was that we both do like one in one okay and then watch those and then yeah you want to like watch those and then come back to record or do you want to watch all of them or really it's up to you how good do you think your memory is oh my memory's fine i'll be taking notes on all of them of course so i guess we could watch them all but you want to alternate so do you want to like discuss the order we're watching things in because i have notes for some of these like very brief things yeah i got i got brief notes okay like i got like a paragraph on why we're watching these so we will alternate if you wish to go first by all means all right then dan so let me get my bag here And draw out the first series that we will be sampling. Uh, Not the first one that I'll be watching with you on the Mm -hmm. podcast, but it's coming down the line. Um, It's a classic from my heart in a similar vein to Oran High School Host Club and just a short. 
Um, it is none other than the 2010 classic Princess Jellyfish. Oh, shit. So okay. this is a classic. Um, it's just, why watch this? I think it's a great partner series to Host Club. It's around the same time and vibe of it. So it's like a, a quirky comedy with a mostly female cast and like very strong LGBTQ plus uh, mm-hmm. themes in mm-hmm. it. So it's a lot of fun in that. Uh, remember watching this one a while ago and finding it very wholesome. Let's see if it holds up nowadays. This is typical Jonathan Fair, short and sweet, and it narrowly knocked out another princess anime, a magical girl anime that I wanted to bring to the podcast, but I'm saving that for another day. Of course. Um, so I thought that would fit here, but I chose this one because I think Dan will get a kick out because all these ladies um, on the cover are actually part of like a female mangaka club mm-hmm. that like design mangaka, and they're all... Um, agoraphobic mm-hmm. they hate going outside so there's a lot of zany situations that occur with that so a classic comedy from our past okay yeah to balance out my other series as well well and i'm glad that you have princess jellyfish because uh <laughs> all my anime are dudes I so fi- yeah, I, I i yeah. did have one um female protag anime but it had to get bumped because the physical media is scarce mm. um that i will bring in the future yes uh but my first uh pick for today's lineup is none other than The Big O. Ooh. Uh, a a Toonami favorite for many folks. I haven't seen nor heard of this for a while. Really? I just know the title and that's about it. Oh, you're going to love oh, this. Boy. You're going to you're going to eat this up. I'm going to eat it up just like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Uh no, I unironically I, you know, I I dipped back into this because it was a contender. I think I mentioned buying this Blu-ray a long time ago off mic. Uh, in terms of physical media, that and we you were, assumed I listened. We were, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but luckily, uh, if anything, I'm I again, I I like the surprise factor. So the less you look into it, the better. Um, but I I looked back into it to uh, you know assess for this episode. Within five minutes, I'm like, he's gonna, you mm, know, okay. I love this show. Yeah. He's gonna love it. Mm. Um, but. Uh, the Big O centers on the inhabitants of Paradigm City, mm-hmm. a very film noir-esque Ooh. setting, uh, where 40 years ago, all of its inhabitants lost their memories. Oh. So they lost their sense of self, their sense of history, and they don't really know how they wound up in you know the current dystopian megacorp uh, conglomerate situation that they are in. They live in a domed city uh, that has traces of like New York and other places. Um, and it is kind of, again, in, in this, in a similar vein, it, it kind of combines, um, the cyberpunk elements yeah. that we love, but with a lot of art deco. I love that. Yeah. And film noir tropes. Mm, sounds um, right up my alley. It has a, you know, like a jazzy soundtrack. Um, and notably, uh, this ended, ended up being tying into my, one of my other picks for today. Mm. Uh, it was created by Sunrise Studios. Um, and it premiered in Japan in October 1999. Um, Sunrise was actually a subcontractor for Warner Bros. Animation. So if this gives off similar vibes to Batman the Animated Ooh. Series, they were actually advisors for that show. Hmm. So uh, it, it definitely channels that. The, the main character, Roger Smith, definitely channels Bruce Wayne. Hmm. And when it was premiering on Toonami, it was described as Batman meets giant robots that's um, awesome in this case the titular giant robot the big o <laughs> known as a mega deus mm. uh is seemingly an artifact of the city's past that roger smith the main guy calls upon when his day-to-day negotiator slash private detective work escalates 
to a city-threatening level, usually mm-hmm. in the form of a giant monster or, or another Megadeus or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, but again, it was very short-lived. It, the original run was 13 episodes, mm-hmm. and in Japan, its viewership ratings were so low that it was canceled before the remainder, like the remaining 13 episodes could be completed. Mm. But it was so popular on Toonami that Toonami actually reached out to the original Japanese studio and contracted a second season, uh, which aired later on um, in 2000, let's see, 2003. um, And it was made up of more or less the 13 unproduced episodes with the uh, caveats that uh, Toonami requested that it resolve the myth arc Mm. just in case the series couldn't continue and that it, you know, uh, kind of answer some, like, lingering, other lingering questions. Mm. And sure enough, sadly, you know, the series did not have phenomenal enough ratings with that second half to justify anything more coming for the show, but it does have a complete story arc. It's Mm. only 26 episodes. It's a film noir snack. Got a lot of influences from The Big Sleep yeah, and and things in here, so I think you will enjoy it. All right, amazing. Uh, I'll go on to my next pick. And I went against the Jonathan rule. You know me, I can't stand a long anime, and we won't be watching every episode from this. I'll be skipping, picking, and choosing through the series. But I said, oh, I'm going to get Dan good. Dan likes mm-hmm. to design characters, does he? Mm-hmm. Hmm, well, I'm going to give him a classic I'm gonna give him Soul Eater. Yes. Yes. This is a very Dan-esque anime, and I remember watching this one. This was my first watch when Netflix came out. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, Netflix has anime. Let me give this a pick, and I remember gobbling this up as a light little snack. It's very much that uh, teenage angst that we all love, a la Naruto yes. and Death Note, but it has great character designs, fluid animation, and some uh, premise and lore that I think you might like. So basically, it's about... Uh, this alternate universe where these kids are at the Death Meister Academy, mm-hmm. uh, spearheaded by death itself. And if you're in this academy, you're either a Meister, someone who controls a weapon, or you can physically turn into a weapon being used by that Meister. Mm-hmm. So you get like the the partners between them. You get some good dynamics between will these characters go together, being that they're weapons, how do their interactions influence one another, and it does go overtly a little long. I would consider this kind of like two seasons of 25 or so episodes. Mm -hmm. And I remember liking the first season more, but we'll be seeing what happens here throughout this. Um, uh, Remember liking it back in the day. Uh, Gimmick of Weapons and Meisters is a neat one. It's a fun Halloween Town-esque designs. Mm -hmm. There's like witches and and goblins and ghouls and such. And Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, I'm like Dan. Dan likes these things. No, I They'll was really hoping you it. would you would bring because yeah. I, I I I I am a fan of Soul Eater as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously, from day one, you said that you were gonna. So yeah. I was hoping that yeah. that you know someday we would get around yeah. to it. And it's... then maybe someday we'll get to the sequel series, uh, Soul Eater Not, which I think does have some nuances that mm-hmm. this series does not have. But it, it will be a good adventure for us nonetheless. And I believe the longest pick that I've had on this podcast. So. Mm-hmm. There is uh, some ground to be broken there. Of course. Mm. Yeah. Um, my next pick, uh, this one you could see coming for a while. Uh, it is none other than Outlaw Star. Oh. Um, so this is another Toonami classic, once again made by Sunrise Studios. Mm. I was not, a, I did not <laughs> actually factor this in when I was picking these two, but they are from the same studio. Uh, Outlaw Star was obviously a more early work, um, but it is 
is uh, based on a manga by Takahiro Ito. Uh, it is the first show in Sunrise's Towards Stars universe. Uh, there were there was another show. Uh, I think it was it was like uh, let me see here. I have the name uh, Future Retro Hero Story. Uh, that came out previously, and then I think Angel Beats was the... Oh, I remember Angel Beats. Angel Beats, I ate up, Dan. <laughs> yeah, that that is the sort of sequel slash spinoff to this. All right. Uh, which which we can easily integrate after uh, Outlaw Star is done, because this is only like 25 episodes. Yeah. Um, but the series takes place, again, in the Towards Stars era, in which, uh, due to a meteor that crashed in a fictional region of China in this universe's mm-hmm. timeline... Uh, they were able, the humans were able to harvest Dragonite, a, a, uh, a mineral here, otherwise known as ether, that is capable of, of producing faster than light travel. Mm. Uh, so they took to the stars and, you know, uh, in the vast reaches of outer space, we kind of have like a cowboy bebop setup, uh, where in order to balance the power in the stars, uh, the Earth Federation established four empires, the USSA, uh, Einhorn, uh, Piotr, and Tenpa. Um, but there's lots of internal power struggles within the factions. Uh, there's lots of, you know, criminals and pirates, uh, outlaws, as pirates. they are called, who, you know, kind of... It's like outlaws with a capital O, because they're more or less their own... They form one of the balancing pillars in the in the galaxy. Mm. Um, and the, the main thing with the series... Is that uh, the the protag um, is comes across this young bio android girl who is the key to discovering the galactic ley line, uh, which is supposed to be a location containing a vast treasure hidden somewhere in the galaxy mm. or in the vast reaches of outer space. Um, and aesthetically, I just love the look of this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it was being designed, obviously, it has like a lot of like old west motifs but it has a lot of chinese motifs too um it 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 kind of takes a lot of tropes that we would probably see in like kung fu movies and combines them into like a almost like a cowboy bebop setting but with its own distinct look the spaceships all have their own very unique vibe uh, there's a recurring thing where some of the spaceships have grappler arms, Ooh. so uh, it takes a lot of skill to pilot those, but ships can have physical battles using said grappler arms. Lots of goober factions that come into play, uh, you know, pretty interesting, entertaining cast of characters. Uh, a few references to, like, Treasure Planet, mm-hmm. or treasure island, island. Yeah. which we yeah. which we experienced in both muppet what a form. freudian slip you had there dan <laughs> of course we experienced as both muppet treasure island and mm-hmm. treasure planet um but also very similar vibes to that another toonami classic that was very popular here uh a lot of bop and music mm-hmm. and i think it'll be a good addition uh, to the podcast lineup. Hmm. Well, great minds think alike, Dan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a fine wine to offer your meal uh, as a partner because mine is also a classic Toonami space opera 
Oh. <laughs> so we've got a little bit of a different flavor, though. It is none other than the original Trigun that I will be bringing to this podcast uh, first. Ah, uh, very good. Yes, very good. Yes, <laughs> a Jonathan classic through and through. I remember watching this one as a kid because I had insomnia back then as well on Adult mm-hmm. Swim, and this would be the show that I would go to. And I remember loving it and being extremely affected by the end of it and not expecting that yes. from an animated show about... Uh, you know, gunslingers on a planet mm-hmm. with big light bulbs. Yes. <laughs> but it is interesting nonetheless. I love the designs. I love Vash the Stampede as a character himself, uh, how he is a pacifist and yet a noble gunslinger. Yes. Um, something that really harkens back to Stephen King and the Dark Tower series for me. Um, I just enjoy it and I think it would be fun because Dan likes steampunk more than anything. Mm-hmm. And this is steampunk, the series set in the old West. I love Westerners, uh, Westerns, not mm-hmm. Westerners, not that too. But uh, I would like to see how this one ages. Of course. Uh, being that it's been a while and we have the Trigun Stampede just coming out. Yeah. So I was uh, motivated to go back and rewatch this. I'm very excited for your picks. Mm. This is, this is, this yes. is, this is a good mm-hmm. combination good batch, here. Yeah. Uh, you're a true sommelier. Rare method, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. My third pick. Might be a little controversial here. Oh boy. Um, it, well, it might range from stupid to controversial depending on, uh, you know, the response. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was certainly, I'm going to give two to the listeners and to you. <laughs> yeah, and one and for me. One for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I had this thought a while ago. I was debating it. Uh, and then in the course of picking the three for this thing, I, I again, I had some trouble procuring some of my other choices, which... Mm-hmm. You know, no, no worries. We will get to them probably via streaming. Uh, I mean, I'll go ahead and say it right now. Claymore was originally <gasps> going to be the third oh, one. Would have would have done me in. But it literally will. It's up on streaming. Mm-hmm. It, it's in HD quality on Funimation. So mm-hmm. we will. I can guarantee it's that coming. That will be within the next uh, stretch of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, so no worries there. But for the purposes of physical media shilling, I figured I would come here with three sets for viewing in increasing size oh boy um and uh, my third pick today it's gonna be a big one isn't it oh it is (laughs) oh no it is none other than dragon ball gt i knew it was coming and oh technically we have not watched anything under the gt label no we haven't uh, because i remember watching just a handful of episodes myself (laughs) and it is i I, it is only 60 episodes long (laughs) only just a just a snack um which i can easily filter down into a shorter runtime uh because this this is a very uh polarizing thing in the the dragon ball fandom Mm -hmm. um it is it was an anime only continuation of dragon ball z Mm -hmm. uh that was kind of made without any you know it wasn't based on any story by akira toriyama Mm -hmm. it was purely made up by the staff at toei and uh the only thing that that toriyama himself contributed was a handful of the main character designs and i think some just character ideas um but it kind of has a special place in my heart because this was right before the internet would have been a huge thing. So my interaction with anime would have been like those stupid Beckett collector. Yeah, I remember them. I had them too. And those contained uh, advertisements. For GT constantly. Always. Yep. And we didn't get GT until about four years after Japan got it because 
Funimation was waiting to complete a full run mm-hmm. of of Dragon Ball Z on Toonami before they got into GT. So mm-hmm. it, it was dubbed much later than than Japan would have gotten it. So there was all this stuff floating out in the ether about GT, but those Beckett magazines always had advertisements for the VHS tapes. Yep. And they all had Edgelord early 2000s titles like Atonement, uh, Reflection, Judgment, like, like, and I have the complete set. I have all of those tapes at I'm home. sure you do. Uh, but for the purposes of this, of this thing, I picked up the DVD set. Wow. This big lime yellow monstrosity. Yeah. Oof. What a color chartreuse. Um, but I, I just really wanted to bring it because I think we can get a lot of discussion out of yeah. this show. It was, it was, uh, no matter how poorly it's aged, uh, it remains a hallmark anime experience for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously it is shorter and kind of stupider than either Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, so I felt like I could easily complete the entire yes. series within, you know, the course of uh, a few podcast episodes. Yep. We're not going to be stopping with... Dragon Ball no, and DBZ I, content. I, I was going to say that as well. I assume that's down the pipeline yeah. for us as well. Because we got we got plenty of stuff to do there. Yeah, Dan always movies. has the odd movies. <laughs> um, There's always more. But I, I figured for, uh, you know, uh, the purposes of fun, for the purposes of gasps, mm-hmm. I would bring GT here today. Yeah. Um, but, again, it narrowly beat Claymore. It was literally oh. just came down to me wanting to, to, yeah. to, to bring physical media to the podcast. That's fine. We have time. Um, After these are done, you know, the world's our oyster once more. Of course. Maybe we could do this again, you know? Yeah. And it, it, and it will... Uh, Give a little begin. tease of what's to come, but successful nonetheless. Very excited for them yeah. as well. Yeah. I got some picks in there that I haven't seen nor heard of, but sound very promising and interesting. Of course. You, yeah. Yours too. Yeah. So um, I guess at the end, we'll discuss like what we're excited for, mm-hmm. what we're looking forward to, which one stood out to us and surprised us and why. But uh, we've made the pact. Yes. <laughs> Are we ready to delve into these six series? I would say so. All right. It's time for a grand tour. Oh my gosh. I wished on the dark dragon balls for this <laughs> moment. <laughs> the edgelord dragon balls. Your jersey is going to explode in one week. Well, that we could do that without wishes. <laughs> <laughs> See you after the jump. Welcome back, audience, to Anime Was Not a Mistake's 200th episode pizza preview spectacular. And boy, do we have some surprises in for store for you today. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. A wild bunch. A good batch. Yeah, when we when we opened the episode and did the intro, I five seconds into our 200th, I made a mistake and misquoted the big O catchphrase. And that's what you can count on on this um, podcast. So as penance... Mm. Uh, we added a seventh episode. Oh, a seventh Dark Star Dragon Ball to the episode. <laughs> Great, wonderful. Because but we, methinks, methinks one of the episodes won't take long to recap at all. No, no, no. But we, uh, because we love our listeners so much, <laughs> we uh, we decided to throw in an extra show in there, so. 
Oh. Yeah, we got a lot. To, we got a lot to talk about, though. So now we've got seven episodes to recap, and mm-hmm. I guess we'll give our our thoughts at the end of each one, maybe yeah. like what we yeah. thought, and then at the end we can say like what we are looking forward to the most. And I yeah, suppose. and uh, no, of course, and a handful of other production trivia stuff that I might have forgotten. Oh, I have nothing. In the so yeah. Well, I some of it's probably better saved for the the, the episode proper. themselves. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to that. All right, so let's begin with Princess Jellyfish, shall we? In the order that we watched of episode course. one, we get sex and the sisterhood. So we meet young Tsukimi Kurashita, and she recalls going to the aquarium with her mother and becoming obsessed with jellyfish at a young age. And she talks to her mother, who says, "When you get married one day, I will make you a dress that." Looks just like a jellyfish and has frills and is magnificent. Yes. So if you are a fan of jellyfish, a la raccoons in this podcast, you will be a fan of this series. Uh, and we, I got, a, I got a bad feeling about that mom. Uh, well, <laughs> she's in the hospital awful quick. She was, in a, she was a mom in a flashback, yeah. so I, I had a bad vibe. But uh, yeah. Um, so when they grow up, all little girls can become princesses or jellyfish, whatever you prefer. Yes. Um. Uh, in Japan, in 2010, where this anime is set, four interestingly quaff ladies with uh, Sukiki, uh, or, uh, sorry, Tsukimi are about to, uh, Tsukimi's about to go get packed and go to Shibuya for a weekend. And they're all like, no, don't go there. That's a city of death on the weekend. Yeah. It's so overcrowded with people. How will you survive? Yeah. Because they're all very much, uh, like they keep to themselves and they don't. It, I I very much loved the the social awkwardness of because mm-hmm. the main thing is that they don't want to go to a crowded city where there's yeah. a ton of people. They're, they're agoraphobic. All... They don't want to talk to men, especially. Yeah, they're they're yes, they don't want to talk to men. They don't want to talk to the stylish, mm-hmm. as they call them. They don't yeah. want to talk to you know the 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 glittering few yeah. who are are I guess conventionally attractive in and their here minds. You are speaking to me at this podcast, Ed. Well, of course, <laughs> uh, but the but yeah, so that they I, I I don't know. I just thought it was a, a cute thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the opening is super catchy and cute. Lots of movie references, including Star Wars, Singing in the Rain, Mary Poppins, James Bond, Bruce Lee, The Graduate, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, Chainsaw Man, Eat Your Heart Out. It's all I said. Of course. So this is something that'll be after Dan's heart because this anime does reference other anime adjacent properties oh references a ton so yeah. far so yep. yeah uh and this is all just sukimi's dreams in the intro uh at shibuya station dan now knows well from persona 5 mm-hmm. what shibuya looks like <laughs> uh sukimi age 18 has moved to tokyo after six months to try and become an illustrator she talks to her mom she hasn't become a beautiful princess she is a freak with bad social anxiety uh, at least in her own mind uh, sukimi comes back to her communal apartment building with the four ladies who warned her from before earlier in the episode they discuss the ancient anxious trek over some uh taiyaki and she wanted to go to a new jellyfish exhibit the four ladies are chieko a traditional matron type mayaya excited by three kingdoms string bean i have down bonba who's the fro who loves trains mm-hmm. and gigi the quiet one who loves old men yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, life is fun here in Tokyo. She managed to get a train photo for Banba, some retro fabric for Chaiko, Three Kingdom Goshapon for Mayaya, and a photo of an old guy for Gigi. So everyone gets a prize. And she has found a family here nonetheless. Yeah, it was that they, they, usually this, this like, um, communal living situation that they're a part of is, is, you know, they don't open it up to many people, but she happened to become friends with them online because they're all otaku. Mm-hmm. And that's so, how she got a spot in this apartment anyway. Yeah. 
because they do not allow men in. Yeah. And they have a very strict, like, no guys rule. And even if, all. yeah, and even if you are a gal, you have to kind of get, like, assessed mm-hmm. by the, uh, yeah. the unseen matron to, yeah. you know, so get in. So, they're... All otaku and they call themselves the sisterhood, so yes. they live like nuns, basically. Uh, there is another vacancy, lots of applicants, but very selective about who joins. Mayaya suggests consulting Miss Michiro, who is the head matron unseen. She's a, a lead mangaka, mm-hmm. and she just met her deadline. She never comes out of her room because she's using her seldom day off to sleep. I was yeah. like, Dan can relate to that. Because she just shipped out, like, another yeah. manga. She's called, like... She's the grand dame of boys' love. Yes. Yeah, so she, <laughs> so... she, she wrote, like, one of those mangas. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, she's seldom seen, but is always very busy. Commands this branch of the sisterhood. Tsukimi wants to see her. Even Chaiko, as superintendent, has barely seen her. Yes. So, uh, Tsukimi remembers her mom taking her to the jellyfish exhibit in her home of Kagushima. And we get it. You like jellyfish. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of your thing. Uh, she loves jellyfish. Uh, Tsukimi is kind of named after a jellyfish but you were born by the sea and the moon was beautiful so we gave you the name Tsukimi yeah and I feel like I, I'm gonna guess that you're having trouble not going Zucchina because that was your name for Lucina. Oh, Zucchina. Yeah. Like, Zucchina. reflexively, and yeah. so that's that's the background there. Well, so. I'm trying my best, Dan. I don't think I fucked up, but once yet. Uh, Tsukimi always visits one jellyfish by the name of Clara in Shibuya in a pet store. Uh, there's a moon jelly in with a spotted jelly, and we realize through her uh, avid research a la Pokemon with Dan yes. that if you put a moon jelly with a spotted jelly, a spotted jelly will lose its energy and die. Yeah, it's something with how the moon jellyfish affects, like, the chemistry of the water, mm-hmm. and they can't coexist in a tank yeah. together. Uh, Tsukimi wants to tell the shopkeep and is prompted by, like, cartoon Clara, who speaks to her throughout the series. Yeah, in a Heidi Girl of the Alps yeah. scene. <laughs> uh, but she really sucks as talking to boys, let alone a stylish boy, yeah. who is the cashier at that moment. Uh, Chibi Clara begs Tsukimi to help her, Heidi Little Girl of the Alps Poverty. Uh, Tsukimi tries to talk, but her otakuness takes over. Uh, she shoves her way in. Uh, crazy otaku, get out of here. And then she assumes the position any otaku knows to take, the sonic roll, whenever yeah. in danger. Just curl into a ball and roll. Yeah, and rolls back. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tsukimi stumbles into a young, fashionable lady. An actual princess, some might say? Mm-hmm. We don't know. It's like, shopkeep, what are you doing in there? Get me a chicken farm. Yeah, yeah. Um, But this lady approaches the store attendee and chastises him. All I wanted was for him to transfer that jellyfish to a different tank, says uh, Tsukimi. Uh, Just buy the jellyfish. So Tsukimi gets Clara from the mysterious girl. They both walk back to the apartments. All the sisters' eccentricities as they make manga and such, play with their dolls, Mm -hmm. uh, their toy trains, their gashapon, (laughs) uh, romance of the Three Kingdom figures, and then post photos of men on their dream board. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Uh, I, is, is, is it specifically just old men? It's or is just it, older men. It's just older men. Okay, yeah. I thought she said builders at one point. I'm like, oh, she's into architects, mm-hmm. but I, I, all right. If it's just older dudes, that's that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they walk in, Clara and this mysterious girl, and she's like, "Sorry, we don't really let your type in here." Meaning fashionable, but the girl says, "Oh, then you can tell like mm-hmm. something's off with me." Yes. But she lets them in. They put Clara in the bathtub. Uh, they put up a note saying, like, I apologize, I'm going to find an aquarium tomorrow, but for now, please let this jellyfish live in this tub. Yes. <laughs> so it stays alive. Um, uh, as they're doing that, Mayaya walks in and goes, who is this strange lady? Turns to stone because she is fashionable. And Tsukimi runs out to her room. 
taking this mysterious woman with her. Yes. Yeah, to hide. Um, in her room, this woman sees the magnificent Pokemon, I mean jellyfish drawings, that she's done on the walls. No, and this was the part where I gotta intervene with my own trivia. When I was designing stupid raft jellyfish for, uh, for the, for the podcast, uh, this is a, this is a trivia fact that you can take forward into life. Mm. A, like, the Portuguese man of war is not a jellyfish. It is a conglomerate of microorganisms that takes the shape Aren't we all? of a floating jellyfish <laughs> type thing, but it is not technically in the same family as Zucchini points out. <laughs> she knows her uh, invertebrate um, floating sea creatures. Floating yeah. sacks, yeah. Um, so this woman sees the jellyfish drawing and says that it reminds her of Snow White Lace. This, of course, reminds uh, Tsukimi about her mother. And then before she could say anything, the lady falls asleep after a, a wild night of partying in her room. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, Tsukimi wakes up and tries on the discarded wig, saying like, oh, the fashionable are trying on wigs now. I yeah. read about that in magazines. Only to find a man in her bed. Uh, just some guy who likes to wear his woman's clothes, clothes, not a drag queen. Tsukimi obviously panics. Uh, you don't wear makeup at all? Are you a virgin? Then Clara points out like that. That's the number one question not to ask this episode. Yes. Is if any of the sisterhood members are virgins still. Yes. Uh, because this will turn them to stone, and they will be awkward. They'll be mortified, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tsukimi is then trying to hide this boy from the sisters that are all pounding at the door. Allah, who's in there? Yeah. Why is there a jellyfish in the bathtub? So we got like a we got like a sitcom set up. Yeah, I don't know what's gonna happen, man. Will they all live? (laughs) Well, I I keep bringing that (laughs) up. I don't want anyone to die. (laughs) Is it gonna be train one? Yeah, gonna get hit by a train, probably. Uh, Wouldn't that be poetic? I don't know, Dan. I'll never tell. But any initial thoughts on Princess Jellyfish? I think it's cute yep. so far. I, I know. I'm, I'm genuinely. This feels like really unlike a lot of the stuff that we've watched previously. Mm-hmm. Like Oron Host was was close-ish, yeah. but even that I was kind of familiar with. This I I have no idea where it would would go. But it seems like a funny, like would without spoiling it. Like is it like a slice of life or yeah. is it okay? Yeah. Yeah, by all means, we need more of that, so. Mm-hmm. So next, shall you go? Uh, then we arrive uh, at uh, my first episode, uh, first series, The Big O. And I was big obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. This slaps, this is anime. No, I hoped you would be, because it, 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 I think it combines both of our vibes into one mm-hmm. anime. Uh, so... We kind of open on, obviously, this very film noir setup in Paradigm City, uh, where, again, 40 years previously, uh, the entire city had lost its memory, their sense of self, their sense of history, but as our our lead character, Roger Smith, uh, he serves as the narrator in a very intentional film noir way. We were joking as the episode was going on, but it's very much the, the like, that dame walked into my office and I could tell she was, it, it's supposed to be very much like that narration gets us into his mindset. It I gives us, like... I need you to help like, me open a jar of pickles. <laughs> yeah, uh, Jonathan had legs for days when he, so it was, but it's very much intentional, like, so that we can get some intimacy with the main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's driving around in his very long, long limo. car. Yeah, not, um, not a limo, just a long car. <laughs> and he, uh, in, in Paradigm City, he is the top negotiator, mm-hmm. which, as far as uh, the series covers, is kind of a combination of, like, a middleman and a private detective mm. uh because obviously with we can assume the chaos that ensued after the mass like blackout event 
there was, you know, a lot of factions at play within the city, within its government, uh, because there, it's like a multiple domed city, as is common in, in cyberpunk or post-apocalyptic things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he, 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 you know, he just literally just serves as a very well-paid middleman. Yeah. And in this case specifically, he is going to uh, negotiate for the release of the kidnapped daughter of a wealthy scientist named Miguel Soldano. Soldano. Um, he, uh, you know, meets with the thugs. Uh, the main thug, let me just scroll down here because the thug does come back. He does... Mr. Beck. Beck yes. Beck is a recurring semi-antagonist here, I think. And, uh, you know, they do the exchange. Uh, he sees that, uh, you know... When, originally, when the the blindfold is taken off of this girl, Dorothy, mm-hmm. uh, he notices something is off with her eyes, and she is drawn differently from the rest of the, the characters in the series, mm-hmm. um, and Roger kind of quickly notices that, you know... Something's up. Something's up. Um, you know, kind of jumping the gun, Mr. Soldano rolls up in his own car the, you know... The criminals panic and literally just drive their car off mm-hmm. through the with wall the money, yeah, to escape. Mm-hmm. Um, but when Mr. Soldano emerges, he explains that this is not the Dorothy I asked you to find. No. This is not my daughter. Yeah, um, this is an like, android. He's like, couldn't you tell? Like, why would I bargain for this android? But it's he's he uses very vague language. Yeah. Like he doesn't say this. He says specifically like this doll couldn't pass for my daughter. Mm-hmm when we figure out why later on, but it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, so this, this Dorothy was not the daughter that he was <laughs> looking for. This was not for. the Dorothy you were looking for. Um, so Roger's like, all right, so yeah. the deal didn't go as it was arranged, and using his Batman wristwatch, he activates the jets that were on the, the briefcase, briefcase shooting it through the car, which flies back <laughs> to him. Uh, and thieves attempt to shoot it out of the air, but they end up destroying and letting their own money out in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a recurring thing because, again, we're channeling g- humongous Batman vibes yes, with this. Everything. Um, his wristwatch is like one of his main pieces of tech, and it's linked to his car. Mm. Which has a ton... The cat car. Yeah. The Catmobile. Of, of uh, the Smithmobile, whatever. Yeah. Has a ton of, like, Batman-style gadgets and, you know, fancy for the early 2000s, mm-hmm. like a, a computer radio yes. and things like that. So, uh, Roger returns home uh, to his butler, Norman. Norman. Yeah. Uh, who looks like the uh, the dad from Kill la Kill, yeah. if you remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know... Roger has a very blunt, upfront relationship with him. He's like, you need to check the brakes. They were 0.999% off when I, you know, applied pressure to them. So mm-hmm. you've been slacking, old man. And Norman's like, well, maybe, you know, I must have forgotten to calibrate them properly. I'll give you something to lubricate. <laughs> and, but we see that, you know, they have, like, the Alfred and Bruce relationship. Yes. And Roger is mostly pissed because he feels that criminals don't have a sense of honor and decency mm-hmm. anymore, uh, and he expects, you know, members of, of the organized crime wing to, to, to act with a little more class, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but Norman informs him that, you know, before he unwinds for the night, that there is a lady waiting Miss for Wainwright him to see upstairs. You. Uh, so Roger heads up, 
He's about to start flirting. He's like, I have a rule of not letting anyone who's not a pretty dame in my place. <laughs> well, I'm ugly and old, so here I am. <laughs> Take me as I am. But it is none other than our Dorothy Wainwright, the android from the previous scene, uh, who explains that, uh, you know, she is more or less enlisting his service as a bodyguard. Yeah, and that her dad didn't even have a daughter or something like that, she says something along the lines of? Yeah. Well, she like hints at it. She hints at it that, 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 that there's much more to this situation mm-hmm. than than one would expect. Uh, what kind of becomes apparent over the episode is that Soldano is not even technically her father yeah. figure. He was hired to to make her. Mm. Um, but Roger is is obviously bothered by the situation because it seems like both sides were not filling him in on all the details. Uh, then, uh, kind of the loose Zenigata um of of this series shows up mm. he is major dustin major dustin uh he, <laughs> an old police buddy slash lover yeah again yeah, very much a recurring trope with the humphrey bogart detective movies he was once a member of the of the military police that control paradigm city or you know protect paradigm city and uh but he's retired from the force for his own reasons mm-hmm. uh but dustin keeps checking in with him to see you know we see why later on, but uh, he's like, just so you know, um, the the case concerning Soldano has been handed over to us, and as far as we can tell, he didn't have a daughter. Mm-hmm. He kind of called in like this this crazy kidnapping situation uh, to you because he didn't want the military police snooping around the giant mysterious factory building that he has on the outskirts of uh, of the city. So. Um, you know, by like we speculate that he is manufacturing illicit goods, so stay out of this situation for your own good. Mm. You know, we don't need you getting into trouble. Uh, obviously, uh, Roger decides to head over to that factory immediately and finds Dor- ketchup on the windows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, and Dorothy joins him. Um, oh yeah, there. Well, in terms of ketchup. There was a previous scene where uh, Roger meets with, like, his unknown contact <laughs> yeah. in that restaurant, mm-hmm. uh, who gives him kind of, like, the down low on, on what's going on with Soldano. For a small stack of 20s. But, uh, but now, in the, in the present, uh, you know, Roger is driving with Dorothy to this factory. He's kind of musing over the fact, like, yeah, so if, if he created you, does that make him, like, your father? <laughs> what, what would an android call their creator, exactly? Mm-hmm. And Dorothy doesn't really seem to pay this question any mind. Mm. In fact, as they're pulling up on the... Uh, well, no, we'll get to that later. Mm. So they arrive at this at this factory, um, and it is quickly apparent that something massive was, was... being built there. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a mech frame is sitting in this factory. Yeah, it's almost Gundam-sized mm. for some reason. Yeah, what could be there? Um, but there is, uh, you know, blood on the floor... <laughs> And, uh... Saldana lays dying. <laughs> well, Roger and, and yeah. Dorothy go up to his, like, control, control room, yeah. where Saldano is is kind of on the ground, fatal bullet wound, and he kind of, once again, reiterates, like, oh, you brought back my, my daughter. real daughter, Nightingale. Yeah, yeah because he's, he's losing it. Yeah. And even Dorothy, rather bluntly, is like, those mm-hmm. are the ramblings of a dying man who's, you know, losing it. He, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not who he's saying he is. Uh, Roger kind of takes a moment in a little show of um, 
I guess, class from him. Yeah, or he's just trying to, like, get down, because he senses something. Not yet. Um, the watch okay. alerts him. All right. But he uh, decides to, like, he, you know, he puts Soldano's, he folds his arms, and he prays over him. Yeah. And Dorothy is like, there's no logic in this white, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, then Roger's watch alerts him to the fact that a missile has locked <laughs> onto them, and the control room is blown up. Rod, get out of here! By Beck and his yeah. gang. Yeah. Uh... Dorothy goes, do you want me to go fast? Yeah, it's like, I was hoping you could be a, you know, a distraction. <laughs> she goes fast. She goes, she zooms <laughs> along this catwalk, uh, pretty much deflecting fire from Roger Smith. Uh, but she does get, like, missiled off of the, the catwalk, uh-huh. but she's not harmed. Because yeah. she, she's an indestructible android. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly indestructible android. Uh, but then Roger then has the time to kind of direct his Batmobile to shoot missiles at Beck and his gang, uh, killing them. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we kind of get this scene where they return to Roger's car, uh, Dorothy is all mussed up, and she's like, you're, you're, you're a, she says like, she says some 1950s thing, she's like, oh, you're a, you're a, you're a rotten banana. <laughs> yeah, and then she's like, oh, well, I, yeah, it worked, didn't it? But he gets a phone call on his car radio saying that a some sort of giant machine <laughs> is, is attacking, attacking the, city. the city in the West Dome. So, uh, you know, Norman's like, what are you going to do, sir? Like, well, Norman, you know what I'm going to do. And uh, in the city, Dustin is, uh, is, is the first on the scene mm-hmm. as this giant lobster-esque mech. Uh, mech. Kind of looks like an Ultraman mm-hmm. villain, uh, is unleashing its tendrils into the bank. Yeah. Not to take the money or the safe, but to steal the metal prints that are used for printing the money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, the the local, the troublemakers from earlier, Beck and his gang, wanted this machine designed by Saldano to commit petty crimes, yes. pretty much. Um, but then the ground begins trembling. Uh, Dustin is like, not again. I knew this was going to happen. Half the city gets demolished. And an, uh, uh, a second Megadeus emerges from beneath the street, destroying half the block in the process, mm-hmm. which is a recurring thing. Uh, and this is Big O. This is Roger Smith's own personal Megadeus. He hops into the cockpit. Uh, as always, it scans over him, and it, it reads, uh, Cast in the name of God, ye not guilty. Mm-hmm. And it, it, um, I love the controls yeah, in this they're thing. Just, they're, it's, it's got, like, a bunch yeah, of it's analog... It's like controls. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's got, like, a bunch of, like, analog steampunk, like, mm-hmm. typewriter controls yeah. in there. And it's a very simple, like, the wheel goes around him, and he's got... Foot pedals, brake pedals, <laughs> rock'em sock'em and, robot arms, and the arm yeah. controls. Yeah. Um, and you know he he using Big O, he kind of launches into battle against this this other mech yeah. who is identified as Dorothy One. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dorothy Two tries to get closer. Well, and it should also be noted that when they're when Roger and Dorothy are pulling up to the crime scene, uh. For a brief second, Dorothy catches a glimpse of some mysterious man in the oh, crowd, yeah, right. yeah. who she calls father. Mm-hmm. But it's done in a flash, and yeah. we don't we don't focus on that just yet. Um, but while this is, you know, obviously as Jonathan said, Dorothy too is trying to like maybe inadvertently, maybe intentionally linking up, you know, mm-hmm. wirelessly 
to Dorothy through one. Bluetooth, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you know, Roger and Big O is fighting it off. He's given a lot of snappy one-liners, like I don't like women who are, are giving me an attitude, and then mm-hmm. he. You know, drives. <laughs> yeah, because Big O's arms, very cool design, are just like, you know, uh, they're like pile bunkers, mm-hmm. and he just uppercuts Dorothy and, you know, destroys her. Mm-hmm. Um, Dorothy, too, on the ground, seems to have a visceral reaction to this. Like, she felt what her, by all accounts, older sibling just felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and despite Dustin trying to come and pull her away, he can't because she's a heavy metal robot. Uh, Dorothy 1 begins collapsing onto Dorothy 2 and uh, Dustin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the episode ends on a cliffhanger <laughs> as Roger happened? looks down and sees that, uh, you know, his two companions are about to get smushed. Yeah. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed this, mm-hmm. all the vibes it was giving me. Uh, gave me some Pat Labor. Yeah. Vibes as well, too, which yeah. I have loved on this podcast, so I'm most excited to see this one. Of course, and we got more Pat Labor. We we barely yeah. scratched the surface with Pat Labor, so uh, by all means, we got plenty of robots for days here. Mm-hmm. Next one, Soul Eater, Episode 7, Black-Blooded Terror. There's a weapon inside Krona? Mm-hmm. Question mark. A sound soul rests within a sound mind and body. Uh, the intro to all of our Soul Eater episodes. An Italy, a bell chimes. Overheard, or overhead, a witch command. And someone to eat as much as they can. Uh, something burst out of an unseen youth's back, and then we get a bop of an opening, which is the basic premise of the series: being school kids, partner up as Meister and Weapon, eating the souls of ninety-nine evil humans and one witch to become a death scythe and achieve acclaim. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fo- really follow three pairings of kids. The main ones in particular, Mock and Soul, are in this episode, uh, and it has some fashion and style to it. Yes, as well. Uh, Soul rides his motorcycle through Italy streets and wants to have some pasta, to which I questioned, is this Jojo? Oh, it's going to be Golden Wind, don't you worry. (laughs) Uh, But Maka chastises her partner Soul, Soul Eater, saying that they are on a mission. Trying to find a serial killer, Soul bumps into a group of street toughs known as the Matarazzi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maka walks off and Soul beats up all the street toughs. Yes. Yep. Uh, that night, the same witch who is snake-themed, important to point out, um, from earlier floats above the city commanding the youth once more to eat, and a combination of a meister and a weapon, apparently this youth is. Yep. So the ability to do both, be the, the meister the and the weapon. Perfect being, yeah. as she seems to, the vibe. Um, she a Keshe. Yeah. Is that what their 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 title? Uh, this teenager infiltrates a gathering of Monterazzi in a church slash castle that they own. Very odd. Where yeah. the doors only open one way, so maybe pull them open instead of push. That's important. Remember that. Yeah, and unenthusiastically does off goes off the deep end on a murderous rage. Uh, Ragnarok, their sword assimilates a mouth that screams and claims to have black blood as the moon above bleeds. Yeah, the moon is bleeding, oh, and it's bleeding again, Mom. And that witch is smirking. Yeah. She's she's quite pleased with what's going on. So elsewhere in the city, Maka and Soul have tracked down John Sun Sun Jay, the serial killer on the rooftops. Maka and Soul defeat this madman, and Soul Eater fulfills his namesake and eats the soul, describing yeah. that it doesn't taste like anything, but it feels good going down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maka asks, "Do souls taste good?" And then we get that that little conversation uh, talking about our two other protagonists at the time, uh, Black Star and Suabaki, who we'll, he, we will meet later. Yes, and very Naruto vibes and like the the calm. Adult in the room being Subaki. Of course. So, like, the partner's kind of 
balance each other in that way. No, I remember those two. Those yeah. two, pro- probably my favorites. Mm, yeah, it, they would be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maka senses the presence of many souls crying out at once a lot of noise from a nearby church uh, the one that we saw Krona and this youth in uh, Maka can't just leave these jerks to either beat up some innocents or get killed because she senses that it's probably those Matarazzi freaks mm-hmm. from earlier uh, the church bells toll and then Maka feels that all the Matarazzi souls vanished in a split second 60 in an instant and only the Meister and weapon are left inside Maka worries about going into the church but as a death academy student it's her job inside they find the youth whose gender is never really made official i think in the manga and the japanese dub speaking to their weapon ragnarok called he in the american dub but i'll just try to refer to them as they mm-hmm. uh, maka's dad elsewhere spirit is on another plot line who is death's current reigning scythe so they've eaten 99 souls and one witch soul mm-hmm. to become the weapon of death uh, wakes up fearful that his old meister, the newly appointed teacher, Frankenstein, is going to get in his way. Yes. Um, so they have a past that will be explored as well. Uh, not the lady doctor I was expecting. Uh, Frankenstein emerges. They have a bit of a past. And Frankenstein's like, well, I switched the toes on your feet while you slept, made you look, because he is sadistic and does that sort of thing. Yeah, I do recall that. He, he was he's entertaining. Yeah, uh, Maka doesn't really act like you, and at this point, Spirit reveals that his wife and him recently had a divorce, and he worries how this will affect Maka. But Frankenstein knew that mm-hmm. and was just like purposely messing yeah. with him, and then reveals that the demon sword has appeared. So mm-hmm. another thing has happened here. Uh, Maka and Soul prepare themselves to combat this mad youth in this church. Uh, very Bloodborne esque vibes. Their, the weapon, Ragnarok, emerges from Krona's back, Ansem the Heartless style. It has to be a direct reference in some way. And Ragnarok proceeds to annoy Krona by, like, physically harming them. Yeah, she comes, he, he comes out of him like a, or they, them like a, like a, like a stand. Yeah. <laughs> and shadow. It's like, stop poking my face. Mm-hmm. Stop. Mm-hmm. You know, so, also the thing with Krona is that they, in, in, in the previous scene, they seemed hesitant to kill all of those people at mm-hmm. first, but the witch had to, like, egg them on into doing it. Saying it's fine. Yeah. Do it. Yeah. So, they second-guess themselves, but the witch seems to be, you know, deviously pushing them into this, yeah. is the vibe. Maka explains that it's forbidden to hunt human souls, no idea about the academy Krona has, but Krona has trouble talking and fighting with girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maka just can't let Krona go free as a proper academy student, and Ragnarok's black liquid forms into a sword, and we get a Bloodborne-esque brawl. Uh, Krona can't be harmed normally, their black bu- blood is impenetrable, uh, can just cut through the skin, but apparently it's tough enough to take a death sight in training. Their blood automatically hardens Mm -hmm. when something reaches the blood vessels. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Very Dan-like power going on there. And Maka could try using her and Soul's special technique, Witch Hunter, but even that might not work, so we do not see that in this episode. Then the Witch commands Krona to kill. Krona uses Screaming Resonance to attack Maka and Soul. This really affects Soul uh, profoundly. And Krona approaches as Maka tries to think. She doesn't want to hurt Soul, so she fumbles into the exit, but finds it locked. It only opens one way. Just just pull the door open. And again, Krona had been repeating yeah. that because Krona had not only been repeating that out loud, but many other things like, oh, this building is this, this, that. The door only opens inward. It can mm-hmm. only do this. She told me it's okay to kill. It's okay to kill. Like, repeating phrases over and over again. Mm-hmm. And Krona even, you know, admonishes 
Maka, like, you really do need to listen when people are talking. Yeah. It would be a good idea. Uh, so she doesn't want to hurt Soul. She's trying to get out. Krona is poised to kill Maka, but Soul takes the slash instead. Bloody end of the episode with Maka saying, I was a fool, and another bop of an ending. Yes. Yep. Uh, what did you think of Soul Eater? I do love Soul Eater. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm probably already have an existing bias towards this one, because I did watch a decent portion of it and other fragments of it. Mm. Um, so, I, I have started it previously. Obviously, I love the character designs. I think it's like a really unique series, so I would certainly not mind revisiting, revisiting the whole thing. Mm-hmm. By all means. Yes. All right. Next, All right, we're gonna we're gonna go visit some goobs in space. <laughs> we're gonna go to the stars, Dan. It's time for Outlaw Star. Yeah. Um, bop of an opening mm. uh, through the night. Yes. Uh, probably my favorite opening of today's episode. Mm. Um, we get a brief scene of of Gene Starwind. <laughs> he is on Gene Starwind. <laughs> he's he's on the. The, uh, the outlaw world known as uh, Sentinel. Well, not necessarily outlaw. It's a, it's a backwater planet. It's, Sentinel-3. It's, it only, you know, mm-hmm. only passing travelers tend to visit it briefly. It is not the focus of anywhere, the yeah. center of anywhere. And before we get there, we get three goobers chasing this lady through space. Oh, yes. Hilda, yeah. yeah. Got um, Dan Grant and Jonathan. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the, the opening teaser is... Uh, we will later learn that they're called the Key Pirates, mm. or I believe it's pronounced Key Pirates, or K-Pirates, perhaps. But K-Pirates. They, they, um, very, three, like, very heavily Chinese-themed villains in terms of imagery, they are grappling with this other ship, mm-hmm. uh, but before any of their fighters can, uh, apprehend this figure, this pilot, called Hot Ice Hilda... <laughs> Uh, Hilda kind of outmaneuvers their pilots and then accelerates into ether mm-hmm. drive. Like the, the, they call it sub ether, but in, the, in terms of this series, it's like sub light. It's, yeah. you know, and then hyperspace, things like that. Uh, so, you know, Hot Ice Hilda has evaded capture, but her ship was damaged enough that she is going to have to land make a landing on Sentinel somewhere. 3. Yeah. Um, but then we get Gene Starwin briefly. Uh, at the you know the main spaceport on Sentinel Three, looking up at at the stars and wondering when you know he will go out and explore them. Mm. Uh, seems to be a dream of his, but yeah. he's scared. Yeah, he doesn't like the space. Um, so then let me take you to a space bar. Space bar. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, we we open on uh, a little bar, a recurring el- a motif oh, yes. tonight, and uh, always a bar. A, a man shows up, uh, he is, uh, he's like a local famous criminal, I think he's just called Death. Looking for Gene, Gene Stapleton? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, not that Gene. Gene Hackman? <laughs> no, no! <laughs> but Death is, <laughs> Death is, is acting, uh, Death is asking about, uh, Gene Starwind, because Gene <laughs> had defeated his brother recently. Yeah. And, uh, Gene is currently playing a card game with his... Young uh, friend, Jim. best bro, <laughs> Jim, Jim, Jimmy Bob, Jim, Jim Hawking, oh. directly named for no! it. <laughs> it's it's an intentional no! reference. Um, and uh, you know, Gene folds in the card game and goes to confront this uh, outlaw who is approaching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gene gets off like an almost instantaneous shot to the uh, you know, ne'er do wells chest, but. 
uh, as uh, Jim's scan reveals, because Jim has a little, like, palm pilot <laughs> that yeah, scans. Yeah, little Nintendo DS. Everything, uh, this death figure is a cyborg. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, he reemerges again. We get some beautiful animation mm-hmm. of him, like, reforming his arm into yeah. a different weapon. What kind Bloody, of shit I live for? This kid's shot through the head um, <laughs> in the first episode. Well, Gene, yeah. like, shoots him in the head, but he, you know, that's not going to work either because he's a cyborg. But then Jim downloads his specs <laughs> and is like, oh, he's a class six cyborg. Mm-hmm. So aim for, like, the fuel compartment on, he's like, the underside of his idea. chest. Mm-hmm. And uh, Gene complies with a quick dagger slice and takes takes him out yeah, and this bar staff is like eh, a normal night yeah he's like you, all right you are going to pay for this like yeah what was the bounty on this dude it's take like take it out there and uh, deposit the rest I, it's four thousand wongs but we'll say like space bucks <laughs> so it's space like dollars it, it's four thousand space bucks and they're going to you know send him 150 wongs yeah the money for the damages and then we'll keep the Do 150 rest. wongs make a right Oh, that is, that belongs in that Hercules show that you were watching. <laughs> you quiet, you. So, um, you know, Gene and Jim head out into the night. Yeah, and, and Gene's like, I'm gonna go fuck. What about you, Jim? <laughs> well, he's like, I'm gonna go to a place where they only let grown-ups in unless you feel like, you know, talking to gals. And Jim is like, obviously I'm three. Like, like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but they do make note of a... Especially, you know, because it's visible in the night sky of an especially strange ship mm-hmm. making landfall, uh, you know, and they, they don't, like, yeah. it, it's very odd that any ship besides, like, the standard, like, trade ships will ever stop here. Mm-hmm. So maybe something is going to happen in, like, this this backwater boring yeah. town. Um, but Gene heads off. Uh, he goes to the Club Temptation <laughs> Um, where a lady of the night is, uh... <laughs> nice save there. <laughs> who I'm assuming is... Well, we don't know. It's a like... sex worker, yeah. Yeah, it's like an escort. It's like a high-class, yeah. uh, you know, escort place. And he is... He's she, doing the thing where he's sitting nude on the side of the bed. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you want to see the stars? Lots of <laughs> yeah. lots of moments like that are very obvious, like yeah. 80s, 90s Space opera, yeah. action uh-huh. guy scenes. Because uh-huh. there's always a, like a nude reflection on the bed moment yes. in, the, in those. Um, but he's clearly familiar with this woman. She's familiar with him. Mm-hmm. But he uh, is like, you know, I'm, I'm going up there <laughs> and I'm going to be a pirate hunter. And she's mm-hmm. like, oh, you're... That's fucking stupid. Like no one, no one hunts pirates. Um, but uh, th- there's sort of like it will become more apparent uh, if and when we watch the rest of this series that there is a distinction between outlaws and pirates. Mm. Like outlaws with a capital O are like cool cowboys. They're like the Vash, the Stampedes. Mm-hmm. They're like the. They're not the good guys, but they're the ruffians with hearts of gold who are probably going to be more friendly. And then pirates would be the obvious bad guys. They're causing trouble throughout the galaxy. Mm -hmm. So that that distinction becomes more clear as we go on. Um, And it's not it's not even delivered. I. When the episode where most of that is explained is actually one of my my faves, but we'll we'll get there eventually. So, um, you know, the next day after this this angst-filled night, Gene wakes up back at him and Jim's place. They co-own a repair shop <laughs> where they mostly through 
Jim's expertise, mm-hmm. it seems, just repair, you know, technology and vehicles for the, the folks of Locust, which yeah. is the, or Locust, which is the name of this city. And they see a personal for one Rachel Sweet. <laughs> yes, Miss Rachel Sweet <laughs> contacts Is that them. a real name? <laughs> uh, she is a mysterious blonde lady. Uh, you know, her profile checks out. And she's like, I, I'm in need of, uh, you know, not only mechanic services, but I'm also in need of a bodyguard. Uh, you know, Jim is obviously very, uh, you know, interested in this because the lady is requesting some very expensive, you know, difficult to get parts. So this is, you know, this is not your ordinary customer. So eventually, um, you know, Jean goes to meet Rachel Sweet. Uh, she is uh, at this, um, well, the night falls, and as Jean is going to meet Rachel Sweet, we see that the, the, the K-Pirates have landed on the planet, mm-hmm. and they have dispatched their very cool, um, almost kabuki-looking foot soldiers yeah. uh, to uh, kind of like a combination of, uh, of like, kabuki and diaboromon. Yeah. And how they're designed. I, like I feel the like... the Witch of the Waste Henchmen. Yeah, no, exactly. They also channel in, uh, there was the Batman again. Mm-hmm. The Penguin had those two, like, razor-handed, like, Vega assassins. Mm-hmm. They kind of channel those. Um, but they are dispatched into the city to hunt for, for Hot Ice Hilda. Uh, Jean is, you know, meets up with Rachel... Uh, they kind of do, like, a little back and forth, like, oh, you're a suspicious character, like, you seem suspicious, too, mm-hmm. like, uh. And one of the robot assassins attacks them, but Gene is able to to more or less make short work of it mm-hmm. uh, with his quick gunslinging. Uh, Jim arrives in a beat-up vintage <laughs> hovercraft to drive them out to uh, where Rachel needs to go. She specifically needs to head to a farm out on the wheat fields. For the acro plant. Uh, you know, which is an odd location, but again, it's, she's paying them well, so it's whatever. Um, while they are driving, however, uh, they are stopped in the middle of the road by the K-Pirates, who, uh, start, you know, they, like, make a threat, they make it clear that Rachel Sweet is not who she says she is. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Rachel pulls off her face. She literally tears off her face. And and, and is revealed to be Hot Ice Hilda. <gasps> Who would have guessed? a smoke grenade to distract them. Gene uh, and company drive off, uh, but channeling some of the dark magic that they have at their disposal, the K-Pirates kind of... Make a little uh, hover scooter out of their henchmen. Yeah, and then one of them takes off in pursuit of the mm-hmm. car. Uh, but Gene, using one of his Trigun trick bullets... Caster bullet. Uh, shoots a gigantic <laughs> just, laser blast. Just decimates this guy. <laughs> and yeah, just, just eradicates. And like the other two are like, oh shit. <laughs> um, but they, uh, they arrive at this little, uh, you know, farm building and... <laughs> Then Hilda's like, thank you. Shoots him in the chest. Just fucking shoots Gene right in the chest. And he falls over. Yeah, I was like, oh shit. Uh, but she brings Jim into the, the storehouse where, and you know, and tells him to pull a large suitcase out of, um, you know, out of hidden in the boxes. Uh, but Jean quickly appears behind her with a gun to her head. and Thanks to the palm pilot that Jim has led me. Yeah, the palm pilot took, took the, the bullet. bullet. 
Um, I and, wish our Nintendo DS would do the same. Oh, it's maybe the it, maybe the old one could. Yeah, the, the old Nintendium <laughs> probably not the Switch though. Yeah. But the uh, so you know Gene kind of fed up with all of the mystery of this situation, mm-hmm. tells her that, you know, they want to open the case. Yeah. So she gives Jim the passcode, he opens up the briefcase, and it contains a girl. <laughs> a woman! <laughs> and uh, this 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 lady who is kept in some kind of... Um, cryostasis. Like, cryostasis, mm-hmm. you know, is revealed. <laughs> who could this be? I don't know. There's a woman in that box, <laughs> Because the only reference that Hot Ice Hilda makes is that the, you know, whatever she had in that barn is the key to finding a great treasure. Hmm. What could it be? I don't know. Is she a map? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, We'll, well see. We'll I'm... find out. We will find yeah. out uh, next episode. I am intrigued, nonetheless. Of course. So I will say that it has piqued my interest. I mm-hmm. do like the 80s, 90s vibes of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some stuff that's going down here. The character designs are cool, and I think it mirrors our other series wonderfully. Yes. So, yeah. Um, speaking of mirroring another series, I chose Try Good, and this mm-hmm. is a good series. <laughs> it I, is. <laughs> I like this one. I like this show. Uh, so it begins episode two, Truth of Mistake. Uh, in hindsight, not the one that I should have picked, but I just wanted to mention that, like, there are other episodes, but I picked this one because I was running late on time. I was starting my notes for the series already, so. Oh, I, I thought it was good. All right, so the late night Adult Swim nostalgia of this opening with our lovable quirky characters and Vash being equal parts idiot and standing majestically in the wind. Yes. Um, Vash being shot and fleeing the scene, or, sorry, someone in a red trench coat with blonde hair who's tall and lanky is fleeing the scene in our intro moments. Going on here. And it was a good misdirection. Yeah. I didn't know what was going on there. So mm-hmm. it was a genuine little, uh, you know, uh, confusing and Then thing. we get this one weirdly proportioned guy saying, damn. <laughs> I'll have to do something about him. Yeah. Uh, but our two intrepid reporters, Meryl and Millie, stop at a mansion for water. Or like a town at first, because they're thirsty. It is a desert planet after all. Yes. And they're said they're thirsty. And we get like the two plot convenience guys that go by as like, oh, the governor has water at his mansion. Yeah, but the town is a ghost town. It's yeah. all... Luckily, it's all abandoned yeah. at the moment. So Meryl and Millie stop by this mansion for water when Vash, who they don't know is Vash... Uh, they've been trying to hunt down Vash the Stampede, but there's been a lot of people who are tall, blonde, with a mohawk, wearing red. Yes. <laughs> even though this is the second episode. Yeah. So they do not believe that he is Vash at this moment. Well, yeah, that and because of his, like, demeanor. Like, yeah. he can't be the real one. Uh, so. Offers the pair water, and then we meet the patron of this mansion, Cliff Caesar, who brings the ladies into the mansion where he explains that someone in a red coat and blonde hair has been trying to kill him. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That fits another vague description that we know of a certain uh, uh, typhoon. Yes. Um, uh, he's not Vash. Uh, Meryl is convinced. Like, why did you hire him? Yeah. And he's like, well, he's what I asked for. I can pretend he's Vash. So. Yeah, he put out an ad saying, <laughs> send a Vash-like person here uh, and you can just, you know, and then he was like, oh, this guy fits the profile. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, he'll scare the folks, the townsfolk away from here. Yeah. And then meanwhile, staying at this mansion is also Marianne, who is the grand- granddaughter of one of the members of the Standall Federal Bureau, um, just as a guest. And he wants her to be protected at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Meryl pulls Cliff aside behind a very obvious curtain that he just has sitting in the middle of his living room Mm -hmm. for some reason it apparently doesn't go anywhere but it does so she's gets like the comedic scene of like going like that's not vash you idiot like you're gonna be duped in more danger if you hire him yes and everyone behind the curtain or on the other side of the curtain's like we can hear you yeah yeah but even then uh what's his name 
um, Caesar is, yeah, is like, Caesar. no, but that's part of the plan, mm-hmm. by all means. Like, even if even if he is an idiot, mm-hmm. it'll lure out the real killer, and yeah. that's all I need. And so. then we get a lot of Vash doing his act, like his cool guy act where he's drawn differently, like, as, like, a handsome anime protagonist. <laughs> yeah, which was good! <laughs> yeah, and he's like, well, I only shoot uh, people's hearts, and, like, when I shoot, I don't miss, and then Meryl, like, gets struck by it. And he's on the yeah, floor, flustered. Yeah, yeah gagging. Uh, Meryl and Millie get ready to stay the night and cook dinner, which is odd for them, because usually... I mean, they're passive, but they take a little more action than some female characters back in the 90s would for me. So it's like, why are they here just cooking? Of course. Yeah. Well, e- even so, they were, like, guilted into cooking yeah. because uh, Meryl, <laughs> like, um, volunteers them as bodyguards, but then Cliff just has them cook because yeah. he doesn't need extra bodyguards. So, yeah. yeah. And Marion gets ready to go take a bath. Vash, ever lecherous, goes to spy on Marion in the bath, only to find that she is missing. Around the same time, elsewhere in the house, Meryl sees Marianne swooping as usual, I see, yes. through another window, uh, leaving Cliff's study. That's odd. At dinner, Cliff... Uh, a dinner of Melly gelatins and fish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Delicious. At dinner, Cliff has proposed that due to his land having a direct water supply during a drought, um, he's totally not monopolizing it, <laughs> Yeah, he... He, he just, j- he's not wasting it, is all. Yeah, he justifies it as like, oh, if I let... It, you know, everyone come and take some water, then obviously wouldn't be rationed properly, and it would run out, and I can't, I can't allow that. Yeah. Even if I am doing good business. <laughs> yeah, and uh, instead of wine at the dinner table, they're having water. And then we forgot to mention in the last series, they're not drinking wine. That's like clear fruit punch. Yeah, it was Hawaiian punch. <laughs> A delicacy in space. Um, uh, Marianne is clearly against this. She has the moment like, I can't stand for this. Sorry, you have to excuse me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I need to get out of here. So something's going up. She storms off upset. I've asked Marianne to keep her curtain drawn. So Vash laugh is like, ha ha ha, you won't need to do that around me. Yeah. I totally won't be spying on her in the nude. Uh, Meryl and Millie are just chilling outside, staying up, waiting for the real assassin to show up. And Marion lets Vash into her room, hiding a secret. Vash is being melodramatic, and Marion misses her home. They have, like, this whole conversation with one another. Um, even uh, through... Yeah. Well, and, Yeah, no, and I love, like, Vash pretending to, like, the little act that he puts... Like, he says, he says some kind of sentiment that doesn't make any sense, but he's like, ah, yes... The, the steps that we take in one direction will lead us in that direction. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it's, it's, it's funny. Uh, Marion sees something move or claims that she sees something move, causing Vash to jump out the window. And then Marion lets drop an F-bomb. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Can't stand him. I need to get out of here. Uh, it was only Meryl. Uh, Marion has gone along with uh, Cliff when Meryl, Millie... And Vash go back into the mansion. Mm-hmm. The mansion is empty. They don't know where to go. So they're all hanging out in this living room with this cord. And they accidentally pull the cord, opening the curtain and revealing a secret basement yes. staircase that they all go down. Uh, after, like, this whole conversation when Meryl's like, were you peeping on her? Like, <laughs> yeah. were you looking at her? Are you a pervert? Um, but a secret passage behind the curtain. Uh, they head down into the tunnels. Marion is now in an awesome red pantsuit with blonde hair. Uh, and she's a marshal hunting down, uh, Caesar. Well, yeah, looking into his obvious corruption. Yeah. 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 And then she goes to Caesar, like, you're hoarding this, you're making ice. <laughs> yeah. Like, your greed is leading to nothing but corruption here. You need to stop this because tons of people are suffering. Uh, Caesar prepares to finish Marianne because he had shot her previously, so mm-hmm. she's in a weakened state. But then Vash tumbles down the water chute and is like, hey, I'm here to save the day. Yeah. 
And he's like, he, he, when he sees that, um, Marianne is like a marshal, he's like, oh, I knew you were a good lady. Like, I was right to fall in love with you. Yeah. Dash washes in. Washes in. Uh, the mess has gone from a spill to an overflow, mm-hmm. says Millie. Uh, Vash is smitten about Marianne's concern over him, and then Vash switches into serious mode and easily dodges one of Caesar's bullets, but then turns into a manic mode. Like, this is scary. I don't want to deal with yeah. this anymore. Yeah. And he's jumping all over the place. But Cliff deduces, this. like, oh, he's, he's pe- like, uh, tracing the path of the bullets just yeah. by looking where I'm pointing the gun. Mm-hmm. So this guy is clearly, yeah. you know. Serious business. As many people in the series do, Cliff reveals his secret waistcoat revolvers. Yeah, four of them. <laughs> four of them. <laughs> and aims at them missing every shot and destroying his water dam thing. And it overheats and explodes in a massive explosion that should have killed them all. Well, uh, Vash disarms him with an icicle. Like, he takes, like, an <laughs> ice to the eye, and then just, like, f- you know, throws it at him mm-hmm. with pinpoint precision. But then this whole mansion explodes, submerging the town. And then our heroes are all seen alive and well. Caesar is uh, taken into custody, and they're like, "Well, the water will go down." Yeah, and <laughs> the town the town was empty, so it was yeah. just like the, the water will recede, but at least they'll have the area will have drinking water. Yeah, uh, and then they ask, uh, or Marianne asks, "Like, did you dodge those bullets on purpose? Because if you might, if you did, you might be Vash the Stampede." Then, yeah. So Marianne clearly knows. We won't see her again, I don't think. Mm-hmm. But she's like, this was clearly Vash the Stampede. But Millie, I'm sorry, Meryl is like, that can't be him. That was just dumb luck. Yeah, and then I'm not d- buying that. Marianne is like, you, you, you're, you know, I, I'll have to educate you about you're, your taste in men. You have no eye for men. What does that mean? <laughs> and then Vash wanders on throughout the desert as these episodes often end. Lamenting that the dam breaking will be f- blamed on him. Mm-hmm inevitably so any thoughts on trigon the first series that we're gonna watch after we resume i love trigon mm-hmm. i am more than happy to, to get into it yeah. I, I i don't think i've ever i don't know if i've watched it the entire way through mm-hmm. but i've seen like i've never been disappointed by any episode of trigon that mm-hmm. i ever watched so it's the quality anime a staple of anime yeah. uh that by all means we do need to get into so mm-hmm. Happy to get into it. Yes, me too as well. Um, back in the other direction. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> gonna come to Dragon Ball GT. Oh, what a what a torrid tale this told. So many details to keep track of. So, uh, one just one production note uh-huh. that, that I can get into because there there's a few production things that I can get into detail someday when we start GT uh, officially. But uh, as we were setting up the, this on the DVD. Uh, it, this episode did not have, uh, an English, uh, like, famously, all of the, the English GT dubbed episodes had, like, a rap opening mm-hmm. that was like, welcome to the Grand Tour, yeah. a bop, I had to play it <laughs> if I was here, but these first, like, 16 episodes did not air originally, mm-hmm. because the first 16... Uh, one of the reasons that I, I love them is that they, they very much embody a Dragon Ball vibe. Mm-hmm. It is Go- Kid Goku, Pan, and Trunks in space with their robot friend Giru <laughs> going from crazy planet to crazy planet, fighting a lot of colorful villains mm-hmm. and just gathering the Dragon Balls up. And then once they land on Giru's home planet of M2, it very much switches into the DBZ antagonist after antagonist action mode and it doesn't go back Mm -hmm. to to the dragon ball mode but when funimation was airing this series originally they didn't want to start with the more relaxed story arc 
so they immediately skipped to Planet M2, and it's it was uh, it was dubbed as um, like uh, as a clip show. Mm. Like it, it just it has Goku being captured by the machine mutants on M2, and then reflecting on the ep- like the events of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is not in the official lineup anymore. I don't think so. like it's not included on this DVD set. Uh, instead, the real episode 16, which is Giru's checkered past, um, didn't premiere until later. Because once GT was shown all the way through, they released the first 16 as the lost episodes. Mm. And then it those 16 ended with the proper episode 16. Mm. So, very, very odd choice. Yes. Because I, I, I think that GT probably could have maybe immediately one over more f- people if it if it had started the way it was intended to it did win over people in in the states this by all accounts this was funimation considered this a success uh you know in terms of like english viewership mm. but it was not popular in japan and as time has gone on it was not popular here for a while either but then when Super came out, American fans started to revisit GT, and they started pulling the Star Wars fan thing where we need to fight about old versus new, mm-hmm. canon versus non-canon, what do, what was cool here that we'll never see again. Mm-hmm. And those debates are debates that we will have when we watch GT in earnest. But yeah. for the record... I love both GT and Super, so yes. we're not gonna not gonna worry about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, this uh, begins, I think, in the original version, it was five years. So we're gonna go with that. <laughs> five years after the end of Z arc that ended Dragon Ball Z, and Goku's really taken an absence of leave from his family, huh? Well, he did, yeah, yeah. and that's what he said he was gonna do at the end mm. of uh, that because Chi Chi was like, "Are you fucking serious? <laughs> like five years?" <laughs> Um, but they, that had ended with, uh, Goku, you know, uh, taking Oob under his wing, because Oob was the reincarnation of Kid Buu's spirit, mm-hmm. his power kind of reincarnated into a new body without evil intent. Yes. Uh, and Goku was going to leave to train him to be the new protector of the Earth, uh, to kind of usher in the next generation of protectors. And obviously, if you remember from End of Z, uh, his granddaughter Pan also competed in that that world tournament mm-hmm. and was demonstrating exceptional strength for someone her age. Like, mm-hmm. they had done away with the kids' division. Yeah, just put them in with the adults. And she was able to, like, basically fight her way to the end. Yeah. Um, so uh, we pick up as uh, Goku and an older Uber fighting inside Dende's lookout. They are Destroying having a, it. No, ab- <laughs> fucking demolishing it. Yeah. it. Like, it's coming apart at the seams. Uh, they are exchanging a lot of powerful attacks... Uh, clearly, Oob's training has come a long way, uh, but on the outside, unbeknownst to them, on the outside, there are three faves from the original Dragon Ball: Emperor Pilaf and his minions Shu and Mai, Lady and Dog, are uh, well. Reverse that, Dog and Lady yeah. are climbing up the side of the lookout in their mech suits. And they're looking old, honey. They are. Yeah. Um, they uh, are kind of, you know. They're wondering, or well, my questions, if this is the best time to be here because you know there's something explosive going on inside. But uh, Pilaf persists that this is, uh, you know, this is the best time to be here because mm-hmm. there's a distraction. Yeah. Um, and it, it's all but stated that they're going to get the Dragon Ball to to, to kind of like become ruler of the 
ruler of the of the world. Mm-hmm. In Dragon Ball Super, they kind of reference this where Pilaf and his minions accidentally turn themselves into kids. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, luckily these the three goobers stick around mm-hmm. even even in the new canon if you want to consider it that are uh you know they they they, they find a way to keep them in there. Mm-hmm. Mai actually becomes a love interest for future trunks. Oh great. So um but they're climbing up and uh the main focus of their uh, you know mission here is to steal the black star dragon balls mm-hmm. which had been hidden in a mausoleum um <laughs> under a tablecloth <laughs> under a tablecloth <laughs> dusty tablecloth no protection no security just out for anyone and no shit this is this is some this is some <gasps> anime was not a mistake first trivia that, uh-huh. that you were going to that you're going to hear from me here we go um, in the Game Boy Advance game, Dragon Ball Z mm. Boo's Fury, yes. uh, obviously Dende's Lookout is an available stage, mm. and I guess because this was, you know, this had already aired by the time that game mm. was being made, you could walk behind Dende's throne, there was like a, a hidden exit in that mm-hmm. throne room that would lead you into the, the little Black Star Dragon Ball altar, mm. so that was, that's one of the few... <laughs> Easter eggs in a video game that I was the most proud of discovering, yeah. but it's in there for anyone who's looking. Um, and but yes, th- these were hidden even from Dende's knowledge. You're gonna join an otaku commune anytime soon, Dan? Or I think I will. Yeah. Well, I like trains I too. I think you'll fit right in. And jellyfish. So yeah. yeah. Um, and I get well, and action figures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it, it it all fits. Uh-huh. Um, but you know. Obviously, these black star balls were kind of kept a secret, and Mai herself is, like, wondering, like, is there something special about yeah. these? Can Every they... time we do something, it, it fucks up. Yeah, so, so. let's 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 get going mm-hmm. and, and try to, you know, make the wish. So, uh, you know, Oob and Goku emerge. They're obviously beat up from their training, but uh, in Goku's opinion, Oob has passed his, you know, mentorship with mm-hmm. flying colors, and he is ready to be a full-fledged Z-fighter slash protector of the earth yes. as needed um and uh, you know dende and mr popo heal them up uh they they stress to goku and oob not to worry about the lookout because they'll just they'll fix it um and oob heads you know leaves to head back to see his family at his village mm-hmm. um so while this is going on goku notices that you know the sky is getting dark <laughs> yeah a giant dragon has appeared Yes, Emperor Pilaf has summoned, uh, you know, Black Star Shenron or Red Shenron, whatever you want to, whatever you wish to call him. But he is much bigger than the regular Shenron, and he's red. <laughs> and let me tell you, young Dan thought this was the coolest yeah, shit in the I, entire world. I'd buy that. I'm like, it's Shenron, but he's red. And, and big. It's, uh, uh, you know, uh, and he, um, similar to the Magic Muffin in the Fairly Odd Parents movie... Uh, Red Shenron can grant one rule-free wish, pretty much. So, uh, Emperor Pilaf is about to make said wish when Goku kind of interrupts them, and he's like, oh, like you guys look familiar, like, you're the little blue dude with pointy ears, like, I couldn't forget you. But, you know, the three of them, uh, Shu and Mai especially, are kind of horrified, because, like, that's the kid... <laughs> Who beat the shit out of us, you know. <laughs> way back when. Way back when. The original when. series, yeah. And, like, we don't stand a chance against him now. Like, mm-hmm. they shoot some missiles at yeah. him, but it doesn't phase Goku. Um, Emperor Pilaf, in his frustration, is like, this isn't a fair fight. You're, like, three times taller than me. Oh, and then Mai is like, oh, he looks like he has a body that's yeah. been <laughs> sculpted out of, yeah. out of marble. <laughs> 
Um, but Pilaf is like, no, this is insane. Like, you have such an unfair advantage. Like, I wish you were a little kid again so I could, you know, uh, give you Beat a, your ass. Uh, yeah. give you a beaten. Yeah, I heard that. <laughs> it's like, so be it. And <laughs> Red Shenron, you know, you know, turns Goku back into a kid again. Yeah. And Emperor Pilaf despondently, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, well, yeah, he, he's assumed to just leave. Yeah. Um, but the... Black Star Dragon Balls scatter, and as as far as Dende and Mr. Popo are aware, unfortunately, they don't <laughs> scatter across the planet, yeah. they scatter across the entire galaxy, mm-hmm. so they're across, like, the entire Milky Way, um, you know, so it would take forever, presumably, to find them. Um, so... While this is is uh, is happening, King Kai's like, "Oh, that doesn't sound good, Goku." <laughs> yeah, well, King Kai doing what King Kai does in every role that's after the after he dies <laughs> is just holy shit, Goku! Like he just like tele like telepathically yeah. chimes in to scream at Goku that, "I uh, what what did we? Frieza's running for Congress, <laughs> state or local, King Kai? No, U.S. Congress, Goku. This is bad. Like like what he does every time. Yes. It's the same thing, um, and King Kai." Is, is horrified. Uh, well, no, we don't get that until later. No, yeah. Um, because the first thing Goku does before he goes to see his wife <laughs> like, yeah. after five years... Is go eat. He goes to eat. Yeah. He goes to, like, eat a bunch of scorpion bowls yeah. at the restaurant. In a restaurant that's being, like, demolished by the bank heist next door. <laughs> yes. I, I believe... I believe this is Hercule City? No, it might... No, it might be West City. I forget... I forget which one this would be but in. But is it after or before the Battle of Yavin, then? Uh, oh, hush. <laughs> But, uh, you know, uh, being reintroduced into the series, first is Master Roshi. He's there visiting for some reason. Perverted as always. Feeling up people's asses. Flirting with the ladies. And then reintroduced is Pan. Now, uh, like a preteen, she is on a date with the coolest boy in school. Bobo or whatever his name is. I I think it's just Robbo or something like that. Um, but, you know, they're, they're kind of, like, awkwardly talking to each other, mm-hmm. and Pan suggests that they go see a movie mm-hmm. together. But when they head over to where the theater is, it is currently blocked off because a bank, a really violent yeah. bank robbery holdup is in place. Actually, no, it's City Hall, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess. It, yeah. I think, I think it's City Hall. I but they're, know. they've taken hostages and they want a bunch of money, mm-hmm. um, you know, and a bunch of their demands met. Uh, and first, they want food. So the cops... Uh, send in a secretary. They send, no, a meter yeah, maid. A meter maid. Uh, with a bunch of, like, cup ramen. ramen. Yeah. But the cup ramen was poisoned with the intent of putting the criminals to sleep. Mm-hmm. They don't fall for yes, it. So don't. We didn't mean it. So then they take the meter maid hostage. Yeah. Uh, Pan does not want her date ruined. So she kind of, uh, you know... Decides to go in and face them herself. Yeah. And then Goku comes and says, guns hurt people. Stop that. Well, yeah, Goku <laughs> comes in after the bank robbers or the hostage takers shoot a missile into the <laughs> restaurant that he's in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but Pan is, is pretty much making short work of these criminals. She even, like, takes Goku, kid Goku aside, not aware of who he is, and is like, all right. You stay here, kid. Take whatever toys you brought and leave because, yeah. you know, leave this to the to the big kids. And again, she demolishes the, the robbers. She punches like a... She pulls like a JoJo move and mm-hmm. punches a, a... Like a column through one of the pillars mm-hmm. and just, like, you know, smashes the guy's face in. Yes. Um, but unfortunately, her bow is... <laughs> 
very put off by the fact that she was able to do all of these sick fighting moves uh, and makes up an excuse and and leaves. Um, and I think that that becomes kind of a recurring thing for Pan is that she kind of feels like she can't have like a normal life. Life. Um, She's too strong. And again, this is a point that we can debate when we watch the series itself, but her character kind of gets wasted. Mm. Like, she doesn't get... She does not get to be, like, a full protagonist mm. or rise to the same level of power that, tr like, Goku or even Teen Trunks does mm. in this show. And that's... That is definitely one complaint that is kind mm. of across the board for people. Um, which hopefully, maybe, at some point, Super or whatever follows it can, can rectify. Um, but... Goku and Pan meet up with Master Roshi, who is able to confirm that that this 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 child is Goku. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they go home and tell Chi Chi, who Chi Chi, who <laughs> understandably, what the fuck? <laughs> you did this on purpose. <laughs> you probably did it on purpose, and we're like, mm. <laughs> and Gohan is there, older, yeah. with glasses, yeah, and just suit. like, oh, I can't, I'm too old for this shit right now. Um, and it's like, well, if they're if they're scattered all throughout space, Dad, it might just be easier for you to just grow <laughs> into like, an adult <laughs> again. <laughs> and um, but then King Kai, uh, Jesus Christ, Goku, uh, <laughs> the planet's gonna explode. He has looked further into it, and every instance where the Black Star, where a variant of Black Star Dragon Balls has been used before. You know, one year after their, the wish has been made, the planet will explode. Mm -hmm. So that's obviously the trade-off. That's no good. <laughs> um, is, is obviously for that unlimited power wish, yeah. your planet is destroyed. Then we get the Dragon Ball Z narrator going, they're looking into the future, but who knows what will happen next time. Well, no, and then they insult Pilaf. They're like, and this yeah, is all because one geezer yeah. fucking did some shit. Yeah. And, and you know, we and see what happens. They gotta go to space. Yeah. Next episode. I'm excited to rewatch this because it's been a long time. No, I would hope so. I don't so. remember enjoying GT the most, <laughs> but maybe this rewatch shall change my mind. Well, maybe with me curating it, you know, we could, uh, yeah, we if could, I we get could more, turn that if around. If I get more <laughs> of these awesome facts, I'm totally going to be, help. <laughs> send, send help. <laughs> but. Yeah. Then. Yeah, Dad uh, made another wish. We, we wanted to. Uh, you know, again, little mystery mouse tool. It is our two hundredth, after all. Yeah. We would we would think outside the box. Yeah. I loaded up the goddamn Funimation app finally, and we watched and up the first episode of Claymore. Yeah, um, because again, that was that was narrowly beaten out because I could not reliably find a physical copy of this. Mm -hmm. You can find them, but they are marked up significantly yeah. compared to other like. 26 episode animes mm -hmm. um so keep an eye out for them maybe someday yeah. hopefully if our podcast can will things into existence <laughs> mm -hmm. they'll get another run but i would assume that the original run is exhausted and now it's just secondhand stuff yes. um but the uh so so that brings us to claymore <laughs> who's that babe is what i call this episode <laughs> So, uh, very, very briefly, uh, Claymore is a dark fantasy shonen manga by Norohiro Yagi. Uh, he wanted to, uh, you know, try a more serious story, or try drawing and illustrating a, a more serious story after finishing his original series, which was like a delinquent parody manga called Angel Densetsu. Mm. Um, stylistically, it, you know, Claymore takes a lot of cues from Fist of the North Star and Space Adventure Cobra, 
which was also <laughs> narrowly <laughs> beaten for a place on this podcast, <laughs> we're going to be watching Space Adventure right. Cobra at some yeah. point. Most assuredly. Um, so, it, it is... Uh, Really, when you break down Claymore, you might actually get a lot of vibes from The Witcher. Mm -hmm. In both cases, there is a legion of humans who have been turned into artificially enhanced uh, beings, demon yeah. slayers. Yeah. In this case, in, in in the world of Claymore, they are called Yoma, um, but uh, the the, de the demons are called Yoma. Mm -hmm. um, but the Claymores. Which, who are literally just, you know, some people colloquially call them Claymores, that is not their official name, that is just what, like, the lay people call them, or the silver-haired witches. Mm. They, the organization that sends them out does not have an official name, but as far as we can tell in terms of, like, aesthetic, it follows, like, a church commanding Knight Templar type mm -hmm. situations. Um, but basically these claymores are designed to be half-human, half-yoma hybrids. As we will see later in the series, they are put through an absolutely horrific yeah. gauntlet of, of experimentation mm -hmm. and, and kind of, um... Torture. Uh, like, yeah. rites of passage to become a, a claymore, and once they do, they more or less skirt the line, you know, after a certain amount of time in service of just falling victim to the Yoma bloodlust that is within them. Mm. So after a certain point, uh, there is very much like a, a kind of a, a you know, a, a deadline for all of them, because when that starts to happen, they are like honor bound to go and kill one another. Because mm -hmm. uh, a, a Claymore suffering from demon madness cannot be allowed to keep serving, you know, Clay more, the I want clay less. So um, we will get into the you know the the all of the complexities of that in mm -hmm. future episodes. Um, you know, and how our protagonist Claire, who herself is rapidly reaching that point, yeah, um, she doesn't seem like she's having the best that. time. Yeah, um, but again, I, aesthetically. I, I got into this series right when Elden Ring was coming out. Mm -hmm. It is very much in the vein of that. It, you know, it, it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, Berserk. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Um, and other, like, you know, a lot of Souls stuff. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, it's very unique. Because it is a is a shonen series, a dark shonen series, with a woman protagonist. Yep. And I, it stands out for one, like, it's commonly cited as one of the you know, premier examples of that, mm. you know, uh, that don't fall into, like, the, the shoujo category or stuff like Sailor Moon. Mm -hmm. um, so it it's interesting. You, obviously, you already yes, brought yes. Utna yeah. to the table, yeah. so it, it, we, we've already covered ground like this before, mm -hmm. but Claymore takes it in a much more dark fantasy approach. Mm -hmm. um, so in this first episode, let me just load this up here. We start with a bloody mess, and there's another victim of a Yoma hiding in the village. Yeah, episode one, Greatsword. So um, we kind of open, yeah, again, as you said, on this village where a, a Yoma, a demon in the night, has been killing the townspeople. Mm -hmm. Out of absolute desperation, the village elder has called in the services of a claymore. Not a witch! A <laughs> uh, silver-eyed witch. Yeah. They, the, the common people do not like having to call in a claymore, because claymore are naturally, based on what they are... Half Yoma. They are half Yoma. They can be very unnerving and unsettling and kind of... 
uncanny mm-hmm. to speak to. Yeah. I, I would assume that if these claymores were to, were to be rendered in live action, they would probably have like Anya a waxy... <laughs> what? Big eye, Anya Taylor-Joy. Yeah. Well, big eyes herself. Well, no, not even Anya Taylor-Joy. Like, they would probably... Well, they might look like Anya Taylor-Joy, <laughs> some of them, but I would. they would probably have like a very... The Alita Battle Angel effects. Like a waxy corpse-like <laughs> appearance yeah. to them. Uh, but the for most people who stumble across them, they it's a very unnerving experience. Um, but a claymore is brought in. Uh, the town kind of makes a fuss when this obvious, you know, because you can't miss a claymore mm-hmm. when they arrive. Uh, and one young boy in the crowd, Rocky, is kind of watching. Uh, Baby he, Ricky. <laughs> he doesn't know like anything about claymores, but the, uh, the you know the. An older figure explains to him, like, oh, no, kid, they're yeah. they're silver-haired witches. They're bred to be half-human, mm-hmm. half-yoma, uh, and... But, you know, the trouble is, they're, you know... You never know when that yoma gene it's is gonna, gonna pop, yeah. and they're they're gonna, you know, kill everyone. Mm-hmm. So it's it's risky to even yeah. have them here. So Rocky goes to take a look, leaving his older brother, Zaki. Zaki, yeah. Yeah. Rocky and Zaki. Um, but, the, you know, uh, this Claymore, as of yet unnamed goes into the town hall and the the elder who is very very fear stricken mm-hmm. by her appearance you know offers to pay her up front but she declines saying that as a claymore she cannot accept payment mm-hmm. uh, but someone from her unnamed organization will come and mm-hmm. take the payment and if she lives if, like she, if she, she dies then there's no debt to be paid yeah and she's not going to be interacting with anyone in town. She is just going, she just says, wait a couple days, either you'll find my corpse or that of the Yoma. <laughs> and then you'll anime. have your answer. <laughs> uh, so she heads off and again, like, the the, the village elder almost like faints. He's yeah. like, oh, her Shit, eyes. Yeah. It was so spooky. <laughs> um, but Rocky, who is fascinated uh, by this this uh, you know silver eyed lady <laughs> follows behind her. We can see that her like battle instincts are very easy to set off because he yeah. like runs yeah, up behind her really and she's like stabs him through the head. Comes within an inch of just slicing his head off, yeah. and she decides to kind of set up shop on the border of the village. Mm-hmm. Uh, and despite what you said, the abandoned mine, the old bean factory, there, did yeah. not come no, into play. I was very surprised. Um. But Rocky attempts to make small talk with her. He kind of just explains, yeah, my... My, my parents were the first victims. Oof, not good, kid. Yeah. Well, as mo... She, like, the Claymore has no response. Yeah. Uh, but she does kind of... That's where most of the, the explanation of, of what she's like. Again, you people call us Claymores. That is not what we call yeah. ourselves. I tell you my name, but it's not going to matter anyway. Yeah, like uh, like I will and should be forgotten within a couple days mm-hmm. when I leave or die. Mm-hmm. Um, and but Rocky's explaining like my parents were the first victims. Me and my brother went to live with my uncle afterwards, and like you know I'm a pretty good cook. So <laughs> while you're chilling in town, if you want to come over for dinner at some point, by all means. And the Claymore is kind of like intrigued by the boy but you know knows to keep her distance yeah Yeah. um so rocky returns home (laughs) to a bloodbath as you do yeah Uh, once again he opens the door his uncle has been like disemboweled and uh, he is, is is horrified and his brother zaki is there 
but his brother Zaki is the culprit, in yeah. fact. Yeah, the Yoma has possessed his brother's body. Yes, because Yoma had the ability to basically... Yeah, well... Physically and literally possess a human body insofar as they can shapeshift to look like a human and they can mimic the speech patterns of an existing human that they've encountered. Mm -hmm. um, and these little, any subtle little differences would only be detectable by a Claymore. Yes. That is that is one of the chief purposes of being a Claymore mm -hmm. is to root out these Yoma in the skies. Yeah. So, um, but it, but it's obvious that Zaki was dead long ago, probably died the same time as, as Rocky's parents, and, you know, the Yoma was going to hang out as Zaki and keep feasting on these villagers, mm -hmm. um, but his hand has been forced because the Claymore was called in. Yes. Um, so, uh, the, the, the Yoma is about to kill Rocky when, uh, the Claymore bursts through the yep. wall. Chops off both his arms. And, and, and kills him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the process of killing this Yoma, we see that the Claymore briefly succumbs to rage. Like, mm -hmm. like she... Her veins pop out. Her, her yeah. muscles bulge. She, her eyes turn yellow mm -hmm. like a Yoma. And she kind of needs a moment to re recollect herself to, to, you know, where she can regain her composure. Mm -hmm. And, and leave. She she doesn't say her humanity. Yeah, but she does say that that um, the scent of Ayoma was very very present on Rocky. Mm -hmm. So the demon pretty much sealed its own fate by staking like camping out here yeah. because you know. And we we the viewers don't know if that's why she was even indulging talking mm -hmm. to Rocky because she was parsing out the scent on him. But you know we don't yeah. know that yet. Yeah. So. Um, so the Claymore leaves, job well done. Then the town's like, well, bye, Ricky, you might be possessed, and kicks him down a hill. <laughs> yeah, Rocky is kicked out. One of the villagers who kicks him out might be Dende's voice actor, sure, so it, was, it ended up being yeah. a connection. Um, but Rocky well, is his banished. voice actor is Hikaru. Yeah, so. it, it, a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but Rocky is exiled from the village because they're, obviously his entire family has fallen to the Yoma at this point, and they don't know if he could be a Yoma mm -hmm. in disguise, or if there's some kind of curse yeah. upon them. So he's wandering through the desert, starving, hungry, passing out, and he sees the shadow of a particular Claymore-esque figure come mm -hmm. near him, and then he wakes up in a strange town, strange bed, but the guy Egan. who wakes, yeah, yeah, the guy who wakes him up is like, hey, everything's been paid for, here's some food. Uh, that Claymore brought you in here. Yeah, and, that, and that's weird, fellow, because because they, <laughs> they usually, don't really do that. They're not nice to folks. Um, but Rocky runs out onto the street to try to like catch up to the Claymore. Uh, at this point, we we kind of it's obvious that he he sees this Claymore as like one of the last vestiges of like hope yeah. for him yeah. because he has no one he has else to else. look up yeah. to. Yeah. Um, so eventually, while he's like running around shouting after the Claymore. Another townsperson is like, oh, a Claymore was asking after you, and they said that they would be waiting in the woods. Yeah, the abandoned woods. Outside. Well, mm. it would just be the woods yeah. <laughs> on the outskirts of town. I don't know. It seemed pretty abandoned to me. There was no one there. <laughs> the old shoe factory yeah. on the outskirts of town. Um, the old but, town mill. <laughs> uh, the old town road. Yeah. So Rocky heads into the forest uh, to, to meet up with the Claymore, who is a different Claymore. Yeah. She has longer Long hair. And when Rocky, you know, approaches her, she's very genial. She's like, mm. oh, like, 
you know, we claymores are always looking yeah. for for. We love everybody. We see the good in people yeah. and want to help. And knowing what he knows, Rocky's like, like that's what? not true. They would never say yeah. that. You don't call yourself. I know claymores, claymores. are assholes. <laughs> and the it's a Yoma. Yeah, disguised as wow, claymore. what a reveal. Um, but the Yoma's like, oh, but that information will be useful when I put on this ruse in the future. So thank you, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the Yoma takes Rocky hostage. <laughs> it's like, come out, Claymore. I know you've been stalking me for days. And the Claymore that we know emerges from the trees. Um, and the Yoma is like, toss your sword aside. I know that you can move fast. Mm-hmm. So if I even see you flinch in my direction, I'll, I'll gut this kid in front of you. Um, is like, and I know that you will save him because you went out of your way to bring him to, him to, to the to the end, and no other claymore has done that. So you being weirdly sympathetic will mm-hmm. be your downfall. But the, then she's like, "Do you think that would stop me?" Yeah. yeah. So the claymore just tosses her sword into the brush, and the yoma goes to attack her. And impales the claymore through the directly yeah. through this like her stomach, mm-hmm. but. The Claymore, still having some wherewithal, basically, um, you know, kind of motions this into an attack and rolls the two of them down this slope near to where her sword is. Mm -hmm. She retrieves her sword and almost instantly beheads this Yoma, defeating it. The Claymore takes a moment... Obviously in pain with the Mm -hmm. hole uh, in the center of (laughs) the body. As you would be. That's what would want. But... By by kind of focusing and seemingly channeling her Yoma's side, instantly heals mm-hmm. the wound that had, got, that had, like, run her clean through. Yes. Uh, Rocky kind of rolls down the hill after her, <laughs> and, you know, he, he's like... Misawi. Like, yeah, no, but he's like, but I knew that you would save me, you know, because you had already saved me mm-hmm. twice now. So I, I knew you would do it again. Yeah. The Claymore, while not fully, like giving him, like, a warm welcome or, like, opening like, up to him. your town abandoned you? <laughs> yeah, and she, and even then she's like, listen, I knew that if she killed you as a hostage, she would have just run off into the woods and I would have never caught her, mm-hmm. so it was more strategic to, like, let her capture you yeah. and then try to engage me. However, you know, she does reiterate, and we get flashes of, of, yeah. of, of a kid who looks mm-hmm. like him, yeah. or, or or of kids... In the past, mm-hmm. that it's like triggered something within this Claymore's memory, and she's like, "You said you could cook. Yeah. If you want to, you know, uh, accompany me and be my chef and cook for me, we'll look for another town that'll yeah, accept you, another place where you can can settle." Mm-hmm. And Rocky is obviously overjoyed <laughs> at this, <laughs> and he asks her her name. And she reveals that it is Claire. Not that it matters, but it is Claire. It's Jessica Star Wars. It's, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that is Claymore. Yeah. Very good. Super excited to see this as well. Haven't seen the anime in a long time. Remember enjoying the manga a lot. Mm-hmm. For the softer yet bloody style that was uh, in line with Berserk is what I was going to say. Yeah. It's like Berserk for Berserk light yes. for me. Um, but I'm interested nonetheless. I think we got a, a good bevy of picks to go off of. I, I would say yeah. so, yeah. yeah. You have any particular faves that you're looking forward to the most? Mine is definitely the big O. <laughs> well, I, I if that is your choice, yes. I will prioritize that one in the lineup. Mm. So obviously, as promised, 
JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Stardust Crusaders, is coming first, mm-hmm. but when we switch from story arc to story arc, we will watch other anime. Okay. So there will be other, there will be The Big O, yep. as well as a few movies scattered in there uh, as promised. Mm. But I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to talking about all of these and, and more, quite frankly. Because hmm. there's there's a bunch that, that, you know, didn't make the cut today. We have D. Grayman. Yep. We have Spy Family. Oh, I'm not revealing all my secrets. <laughs> so there's there's a ton. Yeah. Um. But no, I I would I would happily begin Big O first hmm. if you wish. Yep. Uh, and then we're gonna be starting Trigun. Trigun's the one that I'm aiming for first. Yes. Ooh. Um. But but obviously, but we we got to give the people what they want. We're gonna go with JoJo's. Yeah. F- uh. You know, because I'm I'm raring to go with that one. Yeah. But uh. But no, I'm glad you... I, I, I assumed you would like the big O. Oh, and you assumed correctly, Dan. Um, but I am I am definitely game for Trigun mm. and, uh, you know, Soul Eater when we get to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but not a bad pick in the punch. No. No, plenty to go from. Yeah. So with that, shall we bring our 200th episode to a close, Dan? I would Where say are the so. balloons? Where are the streamers? <laughs> The drawing board is passed out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, we gotta get them to the hospital, so why don't we reveal where I, we, our audience can find us on social media, Dan, for uh, now. You can follow me, as always, on Instagram at king underscore danis, as well as our adjacent Anime Was Not a Mistake podcast, Instagram, and Facebook accounts. And you can find me, Jonathan Kwiatkowski, at Losing My Mind JK on Instagram and the TikTok, and Drink and Read JK on Twitter, checking out my other podcasts, including Nightcaps at the Theater and Drink and Read the Podcast. And we know you love anime so that's why we're not watching anime for the next two weeks <laughs> we got you again gals <laughs> the raccoons are pulling their hair out in the booth they're like ah! like the producers and elvis they're just losing it back yeah. there so. so we've got some sinister six you know we just watched we watched enough anime for a while let's go watch some bad movies instead yeah, and 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 we have plenty of bad movies oh, as well as plenty yeah, of anime some, some of the coming. worst we've seen um, certain promises are going to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Uh, Friendships will be ruined. We'll see if we'll last to three hundred. <laughs> patience will be tested. Yeah. Uh, you know, I gotta say, as per your request that was made uh, off mic last time, mm-hmm. it, floating around in the pot yeah. for next week, I'm gonna say we record on Sundays. But for me, it was Tuesday. Oh, what does that mean? Well, I'll have to find out next week. We hope you'll be with us. <laughs> Survive. <laughs> <laughs> For our tricentennial. But have a good day, everyone. Mm-hmm. Here at Anime Was Not a Mistake, we have one mission. Whether you be a magical girl, a giant fighting robot, a raccoon, or just a fan of podcasts in general, we hope to one day arrive at a definitive answer to the following question. Is anime a mistake? While we obviously don't think so, there's no harm in expanding our wee horizons now, is there? As of late, our humble little show is devoted to the analysis and discussion of movies, series, and episodes that show off that powerful art that is animation. However, none of this would be possible without listeners like you. If you like what you hear on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and more, then why not support us on Instagram at Anime Was Not a Mistake Podcast, or on Facebook at Anime Was Not a Mistake Pod. We promise to go happies on the sake with you. Join us, won't you? This time and the next. And with that, Dan and I leave you with a to-be-continued 
as the chill anime beats play. Sayonara!